0: On TV podcast this week, we're taking a peek under the bonnet of divine intervention with Daniel Radcliffe and Steve Buscemi in Miracle Workers, becoming acquainted with the true meaning of awkwardness in season ten of Curb Your Enthusiasm. And this week, after much delay and a build-up for the ages, we're finally able to review Star Trek: Picard. Plus, Armando Iannucci drops by to talk to Boyd about Avenue Five. I'm James Dyer and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, a show that really should call it a day this week as we finally fulfil our destiny, having had the opportunity to go full Picard. Joining me for this most momentous of occasions are my two co-hosts. First up, the Geordie LaForge of the Pilot TV Podcast with his vast array of TV knowledge and a warp core packed with celebrity friends. He's the engineer that keeps this ship running. It's Boyd Hilton. Hello, Boyd. (laughs) Thanks very much. You're welcome. (laughs) Next up, making a triumphant return after taking last week off is the Councillor Troy of this particular pod dynamic and not just because she's inexplicably allowed on the bridge while always out of uniform It's Terry White Hi Hello Now, Terry, before, before we get into what we've been watching the question I put to you is did you do the Star Trek homework I set you two weeks ago? Yes, I did And for the readers, what did you watch?
1: I watched... Oh, hang on. Let me check my notes. What was it called?
0: I believe you watched The Best of Both Worlds, Parts 1 and I 2. I did.
1: Parts 1 and 2. And? Um, I I'm not going to talk about it now because it's all part of my thoughts on Picard. Oh,
0: fine. So this is just going to feed into Picard. We're yes. not going to have a separate Best no, of Both no, Worlds segment. No, 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 oh, Exciting stuff.
1: I presume that's why you made me watch it. Yes, although, di-
0: although... There, well, there is
1: direct we'll, narrative relevance. Yes,
0: and we'll get onto this later. And I stand by that choice. Although what I am advising people to watch in preparation for Picard has shifted now that I've seen it slightly. But as you say, let's get onto that later. So what have we been watching? <laughs>
1: So, I have been watching something that we didn't review because it was the week we took off after Christmas. Deadwater Fell. Mm. Have you been watching this, Boyd? I'm not even going to ask you because it's definitely.
0: It's the one with Doctor Who in it.
1: It's the one with the 10th Doctor, the best Doctor in it. Uh, David Tennant once again doing a spooky, weird, possible criminal guy face. I also rewatched the first three episodes of Criminal this week for some reason. So I had a lot of David Tennant doing creepy guy, possible criminal face. But Dead Waterfall is essentially the story of a guy who um, uh, his entire family is killed in a fire: three children, his wife, and you initially it's initially presumed she killed. Everybody, and then it maybe it's him, maybe it's not him. Let me just say that at the end of the second episode, which went out last Friday, there was a very big shock and twist which I did not see coming. I'm really like, here's the thing about this show, right? It's a little bit hammy. David Tennant is full, David thin sliced ham tenant in this show <laughs> there's mo- there a whole scene with him with a video and a camera phone where it's literally one of the most heavy-handed things i've seen uh, so far this year which is n- not so much because it's january but i greatly enjoyed this it's kind of a bit trashy um but it's it's very compelling
0: why haven't you talked about that cat show
1: Oh, um, the the.
0: F- yeah, because we brought this up in the first one this year, and neither of you bit. And I, I would, I would have sworn blind that one of you would bang on about this at length, and
2: I yet no. I, I did say I watched it, I think.
1: And I said I watched yeah. it. Oh, yeah.
2: Oh. No mem- we know, as we now know, your memory is absolutely I mean, shocking. That's fair.
1: Here's you, the thing: I think it, it. It. So everybody was talking about it online. Yes. It was totally deranged and totally nuts, but to me, it wasn't like one of the best. Examples of that I've ever seen. It was, it was, there were some fairly shocking moments in it, but just narratively, the way it was put together, the interviews were all, once you see who they're interviewing, the people are kind of, um, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. They're, they're all kind of a bit, um, what's the word, Boyd?
2: Deranged, demented, um. insane. What are they? They, You mean they're kind of like eccentric? Yeah. yeah.
1: So if it's like push So here's the thing it's when you do like the Fire Festival one, right? Yeah. For example, you've got kind of all of these seemingly normal people or high achievers who then end up saying something really out there or doing something really out there. It's kind of this fan, this fantastical story of extraordinary things happening to people who seem quite normal. This is a load of eccentric people. Who spent
2: a, a long time. A long time. This, yeah,
1: And so, I don't know, I, I, I watched it, and it is as mad as everybody says, but I don't think it's one of the best.
2: Yeah, I think the story is mad. Yeah. The, 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 you know, what actually happened and how these this bunch of eccentrics online got embroiled in this... Just crime in in these crimes is really interesting but I do agree that the series itself is not you know it's not making a murder there's nothing no. kind of unique about it and in fact I, I, I would say as a slight trigger warning genuine trigger warning I, I, it is, there is a point to be made that the because it does revolve around cruelty to cats the, the initial um shock thing that happens in this thing is, you know, someone was videoing, doing YouTube videos of being, genuinely being horrible and it doesn't, and it slightly doesn't really, it shows you too much of that for my mm. like, it didn't need to go down that route you know, it could have described that. It's very it graphic does, It's quite graphic and I think it is quite um, painful to watch if you're you know, mm. if you don't want to watch cat cruelty I'm, you know, this, I'm making, I know it sounds silly to say, but I genuinely, I've seen people like go oh, I didn't realise they were going to go, people have said, oh no, they don't show, it. well they kind of do a bit and it's a bit shocking the yeah. extent to which they show. They won't be show watching it. that yeah then yeah, yeah
1: it's, it's troubling
2: it's troubling troubling is the word troubling yeah. boyd what have you been watching i've been watching um the outsider i mean i, I watch Ooh, more the yes. oh yes yeah so in real time um we go out on monday don't we episode four will have gone out um and cynthia Eriva arrived last week in episode mm. three and for me remember we'd, when we reviewed it we talked to think about how you know it's going to go from a very r- realist approach to to telling the story, as in the night of, because it's got a lot of people involved in the night of, which mm. wasn't, of course, a complete, a p- complete thing about the criminal justice, and nothing to do with science fiction or horror or anything like that or anything supernatural. This is a story about the supernatural, and in fact, and we were saying, you know, is it going to slightly ruin it once the supernatural element? comes to the fore, which it does pretty much in episode three and certainly even more in episode four. So I've watched episode up to episode five and six, which we got sent by HBO. I did, but the main thing I want to say is Cynthia ever oh my God, she's fucking brilliant. She's, I mean, she's brilliant in everything. Mm. She is, but she kind of transforms it. And I think if it wasn't for her, then I feel like the supernatural stuff, is it would be a bit cheesy and a mm. bit difficult to come to terms with within this context of this incredibly gritty storytelling and the way the show is made. But she is so brilliant at portraying that character who I know has been portrayed by other actors in other Stephen King adaptations but I'm totally with her and her version of that character and I think she's phenomenal and I'm, I'm, I'm finding the show itself spectacularly gripping, Good. and fascinating. Even though people are going, oh, it's going to end. It's, people have warned me. I haven't read the book. Have you? even must have. Read no, I've not read the book. Well, no. People have read the book. I've warned me. Have gone. Oh, it goes completely off the rails, and it's going to go really stupid. Well, so far, I'm still with it. Mm, I really want to, to keep up
0: with it, though. I'm I'm slightly behind of anything the first two, but uh, yeah, looking forward to catching up with that. But I have not had the time, Boyd. I've not had the time. I bet you haven't for two reasons. One, because my rewatch of Battlestar Galactica mm. continues apace.
1: How is this still happening? I mean, God, I'm
0: yeah. uh, I'm well into season three at the moment they are off new caprica the 2 of exodus which is magnificent i watched earlier this week it's just it's just so good we set beth the task of watching it before she's on next time whether or not she'll do that remains to be seen
2: yeah i think she was humoring you she <laughs> may have been humoring I mean, i'm just saying
0: it sounded a lot she does an incredibly good you terry in terms oh. of just humoring me and generally yeah. having no time for me which do is, i you humor know. you no actually that's probably <laughs> true
1: um. <laughs> I feel like you've been re-watching Battlestar Galactica Mm. as long as I've been pregnant, and I'm just about to give birth. Well, it's because I I
0: was doing it really slowly along with the podcast, but now I've sped up because I've gone off on my own like a maverick, (laughs)
1: like a maverick Viper pilot,
0: like (laughs) Starbuck. Yeah, enjoying that a lot. But, 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 that's not the thing I've been watching the most. But, 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 but. The thing I've been watching the most is I finished, you weren't here last week, yesterday, um, last week, Terry, but I finished The Sinner Season 1 and loved it to bits. And so I've been powering through The Sinner Season 2, and I'm one episode from the end of it and it's equally good I preferred season one but I think they're mm. both on a level in terms of quality mm. and uh, I think it's really good I think that, like learning more about um, uh, about you know, Ambrose's character about his past and stuff that's really good um, We should
2: have a new feature shows that James couldn't be asked to watch the first time around <laughs> and has now since realised they're really good yeah. anyway This was the unfortunate
0: thing on last week's podcast when I swore blind we had never reviewed The Sinner on the pod and yet it turned out we mm. had it's just that I couldn't mm. be asked to watch it And, mm. that, and
1: that reader was absolutely right yeah. that list because you, because I remember yeah. that you were like oh yeah yeah I just yeah. didn't have time to watch yeah. that <laughs>
0: I'm, I'm pretty certain and I can't genuinely remember but I'm pretty certain I actively decided not to because yes. I really still I wanted to watch the first season and I thought it might ruin it so I didn't
1: that is not true no I like, think it
0: is I can't swear blind because I have no recollection yeah. but I do believe in my it's like ringing a bell I've got a spider tingle. I
1: am pretty sure it was more of a Bell and reason than that. Like, <laughs> because, I just yeah. couldn't be bothered. It was couldn't yeah. be bothered, slash, I didn't have the time. Yeah. Um, but we, because we were talking about season one, right? And how unexpected mm. it is mm. and the nature of some of the twists and turns, yeah. which when it's set up as a kind of a, obviously, a crime mystery, but the way it kind of unravels.
0: And season two is much the same. It goes yeah. to places you do not expect at all. It's, uh, yeah, it's re- really good shit. And also has Carrie Coon in. Who's brilliant? Oh, Mm Sarah Kuhn the best. Uh, Yeah, she's magnificent. But before we move on, I have to say that (laughs) my mother. Would like to mention that she has been watching. Wow!
1: <laughs> oh my god! What is happening? <laughs> this is a new slide. Hello, Mrs. Dyer. Yeah. Yeah. Hello. BBC
0: One's what?
2: Spy in the Wild. <laughs> and she, oh, brilliant. She she
0: grabbed me to say, no, "No, this is amazing! You must talk about this." I'm like, "We don't do that kind Spy of stuff." Spy in the, the Wild is a
2: very funny yeah. concept. Yeah. yeah. Where it's, they they, they plant cameras, in camera penguins. with animals. Yeah. <laughs> it is, yeah. It is really it's fun. apparently it's the
0: greatest thing on television. i mom's obsessed it with it, is, it is so funny, I had to bring yeah. up Spy in the Wild, oh. where
2: they put a camera and pretend
0: it's a baby gorilla. And yeah. then watch when Gorilla's yeah. like... It's like, you expect Jeremy Beadle to sort of jump out at one point. Yeah, but it's I crazy. He does.
1: <gasps> and I will, I will just give one... Sh- As we're doing shows that aren't really allowed on the Pilot TV mm. podcast, oh, yeah. I want to give a shout out to Britain's Best Home Cook. Yes. Which, let me tell yeah. you, I think it, Catlin Moran tweeted the other day that it's kind of... Um, I don't know if she used the word better, but it's it's essentially better than Bake Off, even at its best. And, and Cla- it, yeah. Claudia Winkleman hosts it and is like yeah, she's brilliant. absolutely brilliant in it. It's so charming and so mm. warm. And yeah. so oh, I'm I'm absolutely obsessed with it. It's the one thing that I have to like rush home to see. <clears throat> James is looking yeah, completely No, I love confused. it. I like it as well. Yeah. Isn't it F- good? Fully,
2: fully in favour of it, Yeah. Yeah you step up from series one as well? Because series one wasn't as oh. good. Series two is much better. It's oh. in <laughs> James so good! I wanted to say when you talked about *Devil to Fail*, which is really good. Um, I interviewed David Tennant this week. Your, your, your doctor My for doctor. for the Pilot TV podcast. For, point? for um, certainly for Pilot TV. Hopefully, if you, in a future issue of Pilot TV, the magazine, and because he's he's playing um, he's playing Cyril Kinn at Dennis Nielsen. Yes,
1: he so is. So
2: I got to, and he was in full costume and full like even more skinny and fully nielsen up and it was quite weird to interview him about playing Dennis Nielsen that's, that's let me just say that and he was very proud of Deadwater Fell we'll and see. we were talking about how you know maintaining that ambiguity about is he a wrong or isn't he a wrong and, um, was really interesting to play mm-hmm. there you go Good. especially me showing off for that interview David well. well done well done boys you've got another another
0: arrow in your celebrity yeah. friend bow. Yeah. Yeah. now before we move on to news we have A brand new segment for the podcast. Ah. How exciting is this? Whoa. That's right. We are bowing to popular demand, or rather the three people who harassed me on Twitter, and we are having a listener question where we will pull out a question from, I don't know, a listener and try our best to answer it. So, we had a few this week. Uh, The first one, John Morgan says... As me and my wife come to the end of The Witcher, I think I speak for dozens of listeners in requesting a 10-minute James Jamesplain of what the fuck happened in the series. So, no, I'm not actually going to do that because I will, spare it, I will spare you. I will say, however, that if you go onto the official Witcher website, they have a timeline on it which really, really helps make sense of the series if you're having difficulty with it. So go and have a look at that, John. Right. But onto the proper question. This is from Patrick Ling, and he says, Any shows you watched all the way through that you didn't like but stuck with in the blind hope that it would get better.
1: Absolutely not. Who does that? <laughs> <laughs> Who watches oh, all the way through? My
0: my answer gonna... to this was gonna be absolutely can't yeah. I so many I can barely count.
1: Absolutely not. Why wow. would you if something shit, you stop watching it? I mean, do you?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well, I mean, my one is my. I mean, I. I I'm saying lost. So basically, lost. Started, oh, that's harsh. Well, I'm sorry, but it started brilliantly. You know, first season great, and then it completely had to extend through six years, six more years of painful blatant kind of adding on side stories and side timelines and ridiculously absurd contrivances. cycles. Yeah, mm. and it just became unbearable. But I still carried on watching it to the bitter end, and it was bitter, and I hated the end. Yeah, you're a Lost hater. Yeah, I forget this. Face. Boyd, who loves all things,
0: yeah. Has, yeah. you've got like weird Furious. things like Lord of the Rings, yeah. Lost, things that everyone loves, but you have this weird <laughs> well,
2: hatred for. A lot of people really hated Lost. It's good. I like first. that you've got a dark side. It's yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, I did go on set of Lost in that first. Of I went to Hawaii did. on a set for six days in Hawaii and met Dame Lindelof and everything and they claimed that the whole thing they'd, you know, they'd worked out exactly what was going to happen and what the whole place was and, they'd, and it was all you know, cool they, lies because they, well, they, they had to extend it for four, four more years than they mm. ever intended I think
0: it is funny and it's, dis, it's disillusioning slightly that because I fell out of love with Lost a little bit because of that because it became a, abundantly clear they were making it up as they went along yeah. and obviously because I am doing my <laughs> Battlestar Galactica thing and now listening to Ron Moore talk about it in depth it's fascinating how much of that show was made up in response to just Production issues. Like their whole thing was right. That's we'll Starlighttica. Do- yeah. All oh, right. Because they're going to have they're going <laughs> to have lost. no not lost. Robert they're going to have silent lots. Cylons in it. But their whole thing was well they're going to look shit in suits. We'll have them CGI. That's fine. But we don't have the budget to have them in it that much. So what are we going to do? And so someone literally said from a logistical reason. Well, what if the Cylons look like us? And that's the whole spine of the show. And it just comes out of a production issue. Mm.
1: Are you alright?
0: Why? <laughs> 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 <Yeah. laughs>
1: That was amazing. Boyd makes one point about Lost. You mentioned Battlestar Galactica and then literally go for two minutes while we look at you about a kind of related thing.
2: It was a salient point <laughs> about plot <yeah>. construction. <laughs> you're not saying Battlestar Galactica is a show these. No, Battlestar no. Galactica
0: is a masterpiece. Yeah, but what right. I'm saying is, even though it's a masterpiece, it was made up right. as they went along, right. much so like I Lost, see. which you yes. hate. Yes, yes, indeed. So you know. Yeah. So by <laughs> anyway.
1: How um. How long did you give it after you decided you I went every into single it? Episode. So what? How many years? Seven, isn't it? Six, Seven seasons. Six,
2: seasons. six. six is it? Six? How many, how many
1: years? Give it me. Six years. I mean,
2: six years. It was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it was ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, I enjoyed. You know, there there were episodes that I enjoyed. It was a hate watch was wasn't it? <laughs> it was a hate watch. It was like, what they do with this fucking show? And because it was so newsworthy back then, remember, there wasn't like five thousand shows every week that were really good. It was pretty much lost. Was like the show of that yeah. time, and so. It didn't feel like a particular burden to carry on watching it, but it did irritate me massively every single fucking week. Especially by the time we got to seasons like four or five, six, yeah.
1: I mean. <laughs> four, yeah, five, six. five seven, six. Especially you the know, really, two, three, four, the five. Really six. contrived
2: years. Yeah.
1: It's like it's like like a lad you're going out with, right? You're getting off with your best mate, you're deciding you're not really that into him, you're like, oh god, he's a bit of a dick. And then just going out with him for another five years and hating but every exchange happens. you have with probably him. Happens. But
0: this is what interesting, <laughs> like, because Terry, there is a real promiscuity to your viewing habits. Yeah. Like in the way that, like, oh yeah, really like Game of Thrones. This is brilliant. Watch every episode of the last season except the finale, and then <laughs> forgot about it. They said, oh yeah I'll go back and watch it from the beginning you never will you know and all these various shows like, oh that's great I'll totally watch that and we all know this is never going to happen like you're watching an episode here an episode they're like you are the person for whom procedurals were invented that kind of yeah. one night stand of TV viewing just in watch it out doesn't matter if you never see them again
1: like I watch do you know what I rewatched this week I watched season six of Buffy and okay, I okay, there lying.
0: are exceptions.
1: So they, yeah. Buffy's my exception. I have exceptions. HD and I or SD, and I re-
0: controversially?
1: Uh, SD, good. let me tell you. <laughs> it was on HD and I was like, oh, what is happening? Um, there are there are things that I then watch obsessively over and over again, but what there isn't is stuff in the middle that I'm like, oh, this seems okay. Or well, this seems quite good. I'm just going to keep watching it. Or, as we're talking about at the moment, <laughs> this is shite. Why don't I just keep watching it and, and ruin my life?
2: But what's your answer anyway to this fucking question almost Terry's saying, every show I've ever watched <laughs> oh, okay. well because the thing is
0: I, I, I had a really <laughs> some examples this TV this, this podcast has actually broken me of this most pernicious of habits that I used to have which is that when I start something I have to finish it so I'll start watching a show and I'll proceed with it even though I don't like it because I've started it and I used to do that all the time but because I have to watch so much now I can't do it so there's something quite liberating about the fact that I have now started saying this is bad I'm not watching it again but even this is quite good I'm not going to watch any more of it because there's too much other stuff to watch. And it's quite freeing. And this is a, this is a new yeah. experience for me. So, in terms of shows, like, I mean, like Gilmore Girls is a show that people absolutely love. And I watched the whole first season of that. And that's like 22 episodes or something. And I, I didn't enjoy any of them. <laughs> um, and. You know, in the grand (laughs) scheme of things, 20 plus hours is quite a lot of time to not enjoy something. And it got to the end. And then I'm into season two. And at one point I did have a kind of, what am I doing? I clearly don't like this show. Why am I waiting for this to get good? And I just kind of dropped (laughs) it. The X-Files revival was the same thing. I kind of felt, that was one of these things where I felt obligated to finish it because I'd watched the nine whatever it is seasons before that. So there's a completionism to it. Um, Fear the Walking Dead, although I'm, you know, I'm the only one still watching that. But like stuff like Luke Cage. Like I persisted all the way through Luke Cage. It started, actually it started alright. When Mahershala Ali was in it, it was decent. And then he went out of it, and I just kept watching and kept watching, and it didn't get any better. But you just feel like you have to get to the end of it. Or is it just me?
1: But I, I just feel like there's so much stuff, and this is why I'm promiscuous, to use your word, is that there's so much amazing stuff, so many books to read and films to watch Mm. and so much of life to experience. And I just think, I I do have a short attention span, but also, if it's... Not good. Replace it with something actually
0: good. I mean, there's, it, it's hard to fault your argument. <laughs> yeah,
1: you know, I hate to be the radical voice in the room, but, but then um,
0: sometimes with a show that you loved once and it gets shit, and there's a part of you that thinks maybe it will get mm-mm. good again. So The Walking Dead's a good example. Was a really good show, became utter shit, and then became good again. So you're kind of holding out for that.
1: But then I'll just so The Affair, I think, is a good example of that. But I just abandoned it as soon as it got shit. I was like, you don't deserve my. We went back to it. Yeah, but I went back to it because i started to read people saying it's really good again again. Mm. so and and, but then i did have to go back and catch up on the shit ones (laughs) so that i understood (laughs) i wasn't missing any parts of the story that's Um,
0: actually a good way of coming mm. at it because then there's no nothing left to chance just leave it and if it gets good i'll come back and pick up where i left off yes Wow, we've solved this most modern of first world conundrums. Brilliant. Uh, Thank you very much for that, Patrick. If you would like to hear us tackle your question on the show, feel free to DM it to the official Pilot account on Twitter, at PilotTVMag, and we will try and get to your question in a future episode. Right news we should mention obi-wan shouldn't we
1: well so i suppose the first bit of news is disney plus has moved forward a week yes um, true so from the end of march to the 24th of march is when it's going to officially launch in the uk um but yes a big bit of news overnight was the obi-wan series has been put on hold um which seems to be for script rewrites i think the writer is now off the project. Um, and, I mean, they've literally, from what we're hearing, I was reported in Collider, mm. is that they've set, literally called a halt to production and sent them home. Um, Deborah Chow is still on board as director. Um, but, yeah, it's it's on hold for now, um, which it... I mean, how unusual is it to actually just... There's rewrites, right? Which constantly happen and writers are brought in and brought out. But production to be halted Mm. seems something else entirely to me.
0: It doesn't bode well, does it? And bear in mind, I think the Obi-Wan series is... I mean, I I wouldn't get so far as say, oh, it's a risky proposition, but it's not like a slam Mm. dunk, is it? Because it's prequel stuff and that's... Not a great hit. But also, you've got to think of the Star Wars shows they've got in development. They've got this, Mm -hmm. and Cassian Andor. Now, I put it to you, (laughs) that nowhere on this earth of ours has anyone ever said the words, God, what we really need is a Cassian Andor TV series. (laughs) The Star Wars universe's most forgettable character.
1: Well, look, and here's the thing, is they're saying, the crew have been told it's indefinite, um, and it could be next year, not this year. I mean... It, and they were in pre-production, we should make it clear. It wasn't, you know, the actors weren't there. They weren't actually shooting scenes. Um, but it, it seems like a fairly big move. And, and, you know, there is a lot of conversation about the wider Star Wars universe, um, where we are, what the plan for the future is across both cinema and mm. TV. And you've got to presume that that's a part of... You, going on. Did you see on. Ewan
2: McGregor's quote this morning, though, about it? He, I mean, he's he's like, Mr. Positive. Yeah. He's like, the scripts are really, really good. They just want to make them better. And they just slid to production to shooting next year. So like, this happens all the time. Does it? <laughs> no, it doesn't. Yes, no. they regularly send everyone I mean, home in yeah. the middle of production. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> they can't be that good if you're completely stopping production because of the scripts. It's a weird thing for him to say, I think. I mean, I know it's hard. What do you say? But, yeah, that was, that was quite funny, I thought. He has a higher ground. Um... I'm going to do the Star Trek Picard news. And oh, what? Whoopi. The greatest, yeah. Whoopi the greatest Goldberg. moment of the week. <laughs> it was a pretty the big greatest... moment. So, what was the show? The View. It was the View. What's the View? Oh, oh this is great. God. This is so good. The fact that you don't know that Whoopi Goldberg starved Star Trek The Next Generation for how many years? Like yeah, five, many, six years? Yes. Many, many years. Is the key person, co host of. The legendary show, The View, on American TV, which is a, a mid morning chat and discussion show hosted by four or five women. Loose women, um, but good. It's loose women, but good. Exactly. Mid morning yeah. matters with Ruby Goldberg. Loose women, good. Yeah. And yeah. Lodge,
1: with politics. With
2: politics, they do. It's it's. I fucking love The View. Every time I go to American holiday, which is very frequently, I have to watch The View. It's brilliant. I did watch this segment of The View. Yeah, and you know, but what I have so many questions. about So obviously, in case. For some reason anyone hasn't heard. Patrick Stewart was a guest, plugging Picard, obviously, which we'll be reviewing any any minute now. <laughs> and in the middle of the show, he just invites says to Whoopi Goldberg, who was yes. who, who, who was in the next generation, we want you in season two. Live, clearly not a setup. She had no fucking no. idea it was gonna happen. And but my question is like you just avoided the agents and the publicists and all of that <laughs> yeah. business. Like you've just <laughs> made this deal with the you know. I mean, so he says he, he says so to, to make it quite clear this is an official approach. He talks about how you know the showrunners are behind it and the producers and they're and basically he's representing the whole thing. And she's brilliant because she's all she has mentioned many times before that was one of the great experiences of her life and she mm. loved doing it. And so she starts welling up and crying. It's a brilliant emotion. It's fantastic. You've got to see it if you haven't watched it. It's online, obviously. Terry, of course, is au fait with Guinan because she appears in the best of
0: both worlds. <laughs> yeah. (laughs)
1: It was so lovely, but I I had the same. It was so lovely, such a genuine moment. Mm. But yeah, I was like, Whoopi Goldberg's rep is somewhere in Manhattan right now.
0: (laughs) A million an episode, a million an episode, nothing less. (laughs) That's cool. Speaking of cool things that are happening, there's a new Witcher series in development. Oh. Oh, yes, that's right. There is an anime spin-off, Nightmare of the Wolf, that is in development at Netflix. I don't know if anyone like Cavill's involved, but uh, it is a Witcher animated series.
1: Well, and and wasn't there news this week that Netflix are claiming that this was their highest ever premiere?
0: Yes. Based on their new metric, metric, which records a view when someone walks past a house that has netflix in it i believe that's the metric they and go for i wanted now.
1: to talk about this as well so right so <laughs> mm. the current the current way they track whether something counts as a view is you have to have streamed 70 percent or more of a single episode or film right which seems yeah. Yeah. fairly legit they're changing it to at least two minutes which is fairly significant.
0: Also, when things autoplay, like well, two minutes yeah. could yeah. be while you're out getting a cup of tea.
1: Well, I was saying that I regularly submit autoplays and it's on for 45 minutes and I barely <laughs> even notice. I mean,
0: that is just you. But,
1: <laughs> but it's, it's going to... And they have kind of admitted that basically this is going to push up their viewership figures by a third. Mm. Unsurprisingly, because, yeah. you know but also two minutes, how many times do you start something and then you're like it's ridiculous. This yeah. is shite <laughs> and you turn it off. Yeah. That's the point. Yeah. Like if it I understand the need to kind of have figures that they... Oh, fuck it. No, what am I on about? I don't understand at all because it just feels like... <laughs> I was trying to come up with a rational argument then but actually, no, because it just feels like bollocks because meaningful... They're saying it shows intent to watch. But it doesn't. But it doesn't. And, and if you're really going to start batting around viewership because there was lots of discussion about the Irishman, for example, and about it being Scorsese's best, biggest ever <laughs> box office. Yeah. But I think it's really... I think it feels to me... A little bit disingenuous, and how do you then take those numbers seriously? How do you, is that, where does that even sit in terms of parity in the industry and how other people report their numbers? How do you ever get any Mm. proper steer on what people really love and what they really want to watch?
2: It is, also it's completely pointless to me because Netflix, the only people, the Netflix just gives out its figures when it wants to about shows when it wants to, when it feels like it anyway. I mean, they're doing this thing at the moment where you see if a show's in their top 10 when you crank it up on Netflix. This doesn't tell you how many of those two-minute, viewers there are. So the whole thing is if they're not, you know, they don't take part in the normal way of measuring viewers anyway, that everyone else does. So why, why should we, I don't even care that they've just changed this to this new metric. that is What is interesting is, so NBC's streaming service, Peacock, when that launches and it will be in America and not here but they're going to have advertising as part of, so you can either go for the advertising version or not, and you pay more mm. for the non-ad version. But you know, they can go well, all right. Two minutes of any of our shows counts as being, you know, gazillion a gazillion people have watched two minutes mm. of it. So ch- and charge advertising based on that. It is a weird, weird world we're in of measuring how people watch this, these things.
0: You know, what's even better and Witcher related that's happened? What? They've released the soundtrack to the show, including the hit single "Toss <laughs> a Coin to Your Witcher," which I'm very excited about. That came is out it a hit on Friday. Single?
2: It is now. It, well, can, be. Tell- okay, it no. can be. Okay, yeah, it can be. It we're can be. on Spotify be. as well.
0: That song is aren't on Spotify. They, aren't
2: they saying as well, the other thing they're saying about The Witcher is, is it's their biggest show ever. I think they're saying that now. Based on maybe this new, the new metric. But they seem <laughs> well, to be, yeah. like, I mean, not just the premiere, but the actual whole thing. I find that hard to believe. Yeah, same. Of course. Because while
0: I think it's genius, I think it's crossover appeal is limited. Yeah, but that's what... So, yeah. all right,
2: whatever. Again, I don't know, you know, I'm not saying we're not trusting them, but mm, many, trust- many people have <laughs> tossed coins to their Witcher. Yeah, who sang that? of the Bard
1: is that a <laughs> euphemism for masturbation
0: <laughs> I don't believe They've so tossed no.
1: coins to the witcher it's the,
0: it's the song it's the song it's in the witcher Boyd
1: yeah. have you tossed your coins no, to the witcher it's the way you not. said it I, lots of people have tossed their coins Toss coin to, to your the witcher. witcher it's
0: what the bard anyway it doesn't matter I actually I dropped it in the podcast in, a couple of weeks ago <laughs> Of course he did, you know, for lols. course she did. Yeah. What else has been happening in the world of the televisions? Oh, Terry Jones died. Yes. That was very, very sad.
2: Yeah. It was. He was fantastic. He was uh, Did you watch? If you watched, BBC showed the Omnibus special that um, Alan Yenton made in the build-up to when they did the big revival of Monty Python Live at the O2, and they did a whole like you know loads of shows together. That was the first time they'd got back together for years and years and years. And it followed all of them separately in the build-up to this thing. And you know what? I came. With like, and I've always, I mean, I've known this for years, but t- Terry Jones was by far just the nicest, mm. most decent, sweetest one of all of them, and in spectacularly talented as well. Because you watched him directing films at the same time, mm. and you know he directed Life of Brian. So apart from being a hilarious, brilliant guy, he was a really good director and incredibly good guy. That's wow. my, my Terry Jones. He was seventy-seven. Yeah. Yes. Uh, any
0: other news?
1: Um, I was excited to read that Laura Dern is going to. Play a bartender in a Queebee series called Just One Drink, and it's essentially uh, they're saying a series of vignettes. She plays the bartender, and it's it's the stories of these customers she interacts with, and um, which actually seems to fit the format, as we know Queebee, and we've discussed Queebee many times, and our kind of uncomfortableness with it. Okay, um, boomer. Okay, boomer. Exactly. <laughs> um. Uh. But. I mean, Laura Dern as a bartender anyway, let's yeah. be frank. Is fucking amazing. And it seems to fit the format, which is obviously these smaller pieces of storytelling. Everything's what, six minutes or seven minutes? Um, and it's being done with Nick Hornby, weirdly. Yeah. Isn't that a bit weird? It's exciting. Yeah, yeah. Because I think they're it's... both EPing and it's I, yeah. I I'm trying to imagine Laura Dern and Nick Hornby in a room together. <laughs>
2: I can imagine it. Hmm. He's doing a lot more TV, though. He's, he's like he's doing a lot of TV producing, it seems to me, at the moment.
1: Yeah. I mean, when you look at the, the talent she's joining, when you look at all the names together, Queeby have actually got on board. Guillermo del Toro, Jason Bloom, Sam Raimi, Steven Soderbergh, Anna Kendrick, I mean, Lawrence Fishburne. It's just, I mean, it's kind of insane when you look yeah. at the raft of That's talent they've managed to get on board how we all still feel about the kind of delivery of that content and execution we will have to see because we are old and suspicious yeah. <laughs>
0: and Terry's already got her little duvet fort ready for watching yes. that particular one so <laughs>
2: um, can I just say that on mark your diary February the 3rd um, coming soon BBC 4 are re-showing this life.
1: Yes, all I saw this, this on Twitter this yeah. morning.
2: Yeah. And so one of the greatest, uh, most influential of all TV shows in British TV history um, from that day, and they're showing like two or three episodes a night. And it's going to be... And, and I mean, it, I went to the... They screened recently a kind of um, uh, the first episode and they had a Q&A at the BFI about it. And, I, and it is such a fantastic show.
1: This is, you haven't watched this. Have I you started games?
2: watching it. Remember, yes, I like, watched the this... first two, oh, yeah, and it's. But this is one of the ones where
0: I'm like, is there something wrong with me? Because yes. it seems fine, but yes, I'm not sure. What, like, but what is it about this all right, life that's you great? Have to,
2: at the time, it was absolutely revolutionary because uh-huh. you didn't have a show on British TV about young people, what they're really like, you know, with gay characters, with people sleeping with each other in shared housing, and all, and you know, feminist characters. It was just that was all brand new, and it, it invented all of that And you know, it's, it's, it's now it seems run of the mill because every show is like that kind of something. Every drama that's not a science fiction show, but it was absolutely revolutionary at the time. So yeah, it is partly about what it represented at the time, but also the characters are brilliant. Yeah. Andrew Lincoln, you know, as a legendary. Are you not
1: figure. compelled by the characters, the writing? I
0: I, I, I
2: thought it, I didn't dislike it. It just didn't set
0: my. I mean, I'll watch a few more if that'll make watch you happy. Few, I'll watch a, watch a few more. If there was a spaceship in it. You know, there were yeah. there were fewer <laughs> witches than I would ideally <laughs> yeah. have liked. Yeah. Um, did you see that David Leach is directing a live-action remake of Kung Fu, the 70s TV series? David Lynch? David Leitch. Oh, <laughs> David John John Wick 1's David Leitch, oh. you know. Can
1: we get David Lynch, yeah, to, do
0: get then? Lynch to do it again? <laughs> <laughs>
2: yes, David Lynch would be certainly more interesting. <laughs> David, there was a, the David Lynch 17-minute film on Netflix. Have you seen that?
1: Oh, uh, no. I'm it's crazy. Is it crazy? Yeah. Him and the monkey. Him
2: and the interviewer monkey. And Sorry. it's Marcel. Marcel. Yeah. From friends. Yeah, Marcel, no no Marcel is dead. There's no way Marcel is still alive. It's a oh,
0: capuchin.
1: it's not actual Marcel. I don't think it's actually,
0: don't it's they, that they, type of monkey, though, yeah. Don't, I don't know what the life expectancy of a capuchin monkey is, but I'm fairly certain <laughs> Marcel is long since shuffled off this mortal coil.
1: How long do monkeys live? Don't they live to be dead? Yeah, more, could see,
2: be. yeah going, they live quite to a long old age. You yeah, like see humans.
1: monkeys in zoos yeah. with grey beards yeah. who are clearly yeah. old.
2: Hey, Siri,
0: <laughs> how long does a capuchin monkey live?
2: Anyway, it's called What Did Jack Do? and it's really fucking weird. But, yeah, funny. Um, Siri's just giving me some websites. Hang on.
0: Capuchin Monkeys...
1: That's classic. That's like the woman on Twitter who goes, I'm not here to do your research for you,
0: Jane. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what's happening. She's just like, she basically come back and said, look it up, your fucking self.
1: <laughs> you lazy um, misogynist.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, hang on, hang on. They weigh from three to nine pounds and live up to 25 years old in their natural habitats. Now, you've got to think, Marcel was a celebrity monkey, so probably had like a drug habit and all sorts of stuff. So unlikely reached his full potential. I'm saying probably carked it at about 15.
2: Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, right. that is anyway. on Netflix. They arrived um, they dropped surprisingly. Speaking
0: of things that dropped surprisingly on Netflix, Altered Carbon Season 2 is coming next month. That dropped out of the blue, didn't oh, it? Oh, completely, yeah. And I mean, they're I'm the doing own... this all Who the cares? time. Yeah. I, I care. <laughs> I care. This, it's had a, a kinemanectomy, but uh, a, it, but of course, it is a, a show uniquely suited to having yeah. changes of cast. Yeah, I mean, so. it co-
2: didn't it cost like eight gazillion pounds? Yeah, so I it really liked it, though I seem to have been in the
0: minority, but yeah. I thought it was really good. <coughs> All right. Any any other monkey news, Terry? No? <laughs> no. Okay. Monkey We're news. all good. Time now then. For this week's interview, so Avenue Five debuted on Sky last week, and this marked something of a change of venue for Armando Iannucci, shifting from the corridors of sort of political power to a cruise ship in outer space. Uh, This stars Hugh Laurie as the good ship skipper uh, and explores what happens when an interstellar pleasure cruise ends up having to extend its trip for somewhat longer than anyone anticipated. Armando swung by earlier this week to explain why he went full Star Trek to our very own. Boyd Hilton.
2: Armando Iannucci, welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast. Uh, Hello. Hello. (laughs) Here I am. Here you are. But we're here to talk about Avenue 5, which is set in the future. Mm -hmm. 40 years, roughly? About 40 years, yes. Now, this strikes me as your first proper science fiction i mean obviously it's a comedy but it is still a science fiction as well is it for, yeah. did you want to, was that part of the things you wanted to do you wanted to do a science fiction well
3: there were two things i mean i did time trumpet ages uh, ago yeah. which was a sort of projection into the future sure. looking back at now so I've, I've gone down that route um I, i'm a huge sci-fi fan and always have been um so there was always an inkling about doing something in that Uh, mode. Separately from that, and without even thinking about the sci-fi element, I had been thinking after doing Veep and prior to that uh, the thick of it, that's 10 years of doing contemporary politics I kind of wanted to look at people, the crowds, you know, mass movements, populism, authority, the fact that people everywhere are slightly anxious, but they don't know why. Something's about to kick off, but we don't know what it is. And yet there's a looming apocalypse that we don't really seem to know what to do about anything about. That. And then as I was thinking about that, I then thought, aha, yes, maybe this is the thing that I should be doing through a kind of, if we set it in the future, if we put... 5,000 passengers and one and a half thousand crew in basically a pressure cooker in space and let it kick off Let's see what happens right
2: and it seems to touch on as well. The idea that, uh, that um, of, of fake news of kind of people pe- people out and out lie in the show don't they almost to people's faces Well, and this it doesn't seem to be necessarily it's often. A sort of
3: projection forward of that. Where are where are we going with this? Is it the case that if you say something even though people know that it's not factually true if it sounds right? We're prepared to accept it right Yes, you know, because I think that's the position we're kind of getting into now. Yeah, I think yeah. where we know what we're getting from the people that we vote for, but we still vote for them because we know what we're getting. Right. Yes. That's interesting. You know. Yeah. Um, it's not very depressing, this. It's quite it? depressing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I on, said a much, it was <laughs> on a much, a, bleak existential night. <laughs> yeah. Right. You did say that. You did. Yeah. yeah.
2: On a much lighter note, did you yeah. did you meet Elon Musk and and all those people? Did you you know? Because obviously he's. I think it's trying to, try to act, do actual space tourism for real, isn't it? Yes.
3: I didn't um, meet them specifically, but I went round SpaceX. Right. I got the, the whole tour. I went round Virgin Galactic, got the whole tour. Right saw things that I was not allowed to photograph because it was all top secret. And I also went around NASA and the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena. Um, And you then get a feel for what these people are actually like and what motivates them. And and, and some of them are very visionary and others are very, very practical. They're sort of problem solvers. The people at NASA were like your uncle. You know, they almost had metaphorical tool belts on and, you know, they're fixers. They're kind of, okay, how do we get something? We can't put all this fuel in it because it will not travel very far with all that fuel in it. So it has no fuel in it, but it's still got to get to the other side of Saturn. How do we do that? Well, the only way we can do that is if we launch it on this day and it hits that moon and goes around that moon and then goes around that planet twice and then goes around the sun again. You know, we use physics. We use the laws of gravity and and, and to, to get it there. And and that for me was great to watch because it, it, it made me realise that um, the laws of physics are just immutable Mm. that's what frustrates Herman Judd the kind of owner of the ship that he can't change the laws of physics Josh Gad you can't get home any quicker because you cannot change physics
2: and he also can't speak to people any
3: faster because there is the delay and the delay with earth he can't make sound speed up you know he thinks thinks if if you throw money at it, it it You know, there is always a solution. Yeah. There's always a solution. No, there isn't. Other than you've just got to let it play out.
2: Yeah. Is there a little bit of Donald Trump in him?
3: Well, yeah, he reminded me of when Donald Trump took over as president because he still thought he was running a company where everyone would do what he said. So if he said, build a wall, they'd go, okay, but we've got to get the funding for it. That can only be passed by an act in Congress. Yes. Okay, do that then. Well, no, because the House has uh, rejected it. Well, take it to the courts. Well, the courts have rejected it as well. Well, why can't I just build a wall? Uh, You you (laughs) can't. <laughs> yeah. And he just didn't see that. He just thought he was a CEO yes. of America. And so there's that element as well, yeah, yeah. the element of, of the Richard Branson, you know, I had a, tr- you know, I, I had an airline that worked. Why can't I go into space or run hotels or have a bridal wear company or some vodka? Because they're different, Richard. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> have you seen your traits? Um, that thing of you know, I'm a business genius because I got mm. one thing very right.
2: Mm. Do you think you're going to put people off? The- I mean, do you- <laughs> <laughs> I wonder whether Elon well, Musk and, and the Richard. Are going to it's, sue you for it's not
3: uh it's not happening tomorrow so don't, <laughs> right. don't hold your breath okay um well do hold your breath because it's yeah. in space yes um but i mean <laughs> someone was telling me as we went around this the virgin galactic thing and the guy was explaining that it, you know it's it's on it's it's hinged onto another bigger plane that oh, takes okay. it up high and then it's released and it shoots up that leaves our atmosphere and you're you're weightless in space for about three minutes and you get the kind of gravity free and the guy was saying and you're up there for three minutes you have three minutes to kind of take your photos taking the view and someone next to me was saying to him um yeah but what you need those three minutes to just adjust to the fact that you're floating around and there's no up or down or left oh no 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 it'll be fine and she was saying yeah i think you'll so are you training them in weightlessness beforehand? No, no, because we want them to get the full impact of the experience. And she was like, yeah, no, but what I'm saying is you will need at least three minutes to just adjust to being weightless and you'll be throwing up. And, he, and there was a pause and he went, no, nah, I should be fine. <laughs> and I thought oh my god they haven't really thought this through and then I asked her who she was and she was an ex-astronaut who'd oh, been up in the wow. space shuttle and wow. the, the international space station and she knew what she was talking yes. about you yes. Know, yes. you, you will throw up the moment you leave yes. Blimey.
2: The design is, is beautiful of the, oh, of, of the ship yes. often referred to as a, as a flying dildo as a, in, in the show it's long and, and I'll take that as a compliment. Yes I mean like, yes um, <laughs> it was interesting for you to get involved in that kind of thing that you know.
3: Absolutely yes uh, and, and we knew from the start that um, we didn't want it to Feel like you're in a spaceship. It's more modeled on a, a cruise liner, right. a, a big luxury cruise liner, or a or a massive luxury hotel. The kind of the opulence of the atrium as you as you step in, um, because we've got to be in this space for quite some time. And I don't want to feel that you're absolutely trapped more than you actually are. <laughs> and there should f- and and it should feel like what you're seeing on camera. Is just the start and this goes on for miles so it gives us the opportunity to introduce new environments all the time uh, and not keep it just that one mm. often with sci-fi you get shows that love their set and it's great to see in the first episode but it by season four you're still on that set you yeah. think I'm, I want to see something else now please <laughs> yes. so I've we've deliberately kind of gone that route so that we can always kind of
2: change change our um, environment mm absolutely and you talked about being a science fiction fan yeah. what, what kind of thing were you what did you grow up watching what kind of thing uh, was your, your well I, you know I was a huge I
3: was I, was, I used to read HG Wells I yeah. loved those, those novels and his sort of short stories and then um, and then 2001 is oh, yeah. t- just amazing and that's not you know well it is aliens but it's done in a very if it were to happen it probably would happen like this yes. kind of way yes. it's about the high concept it's about the emotion uh, it's about the play of ideas. That I love Philip K. Dick. And that's uh, a very
2: white ship on 2001, which is a bit. It is very, a very white your, ship. Yeah, yeah, yes. yours is very white. Yes.
3: Yes. <laughs> Yes, it is actually. Yes. yes, most ships are either white or yeah, metallic. That's true. You're right. Those are the sci-fi. You're tropes. Right. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> Battlestar Galactica, the reboot, which yes. I really like. That's very metallic. That's kind of, right, uh, of you know. That's that's old military, as it were. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: And Star Trek, were you a fan of? So we were talking before we went on there. Oh, I was. Uh, yes,
3: I yes. was a fan of Star Trek, and I think the new Star Trek iterations mm. are, are pretty good. Actually, I really, I'm really lots of big themes and quite chunky, complex storylines there, which I'm quite enjoying. Yeah. Absolutely.
2: And what is it like? Are you effectively a showrunner? Yes. And what is it like showrunning a big, I mean, American? It's all consuming. It is is all consuming. And
3: I learned this the hard way doing season one of Veep. And I was down to direct five of the eight episodes while being the showrunner. And it was impossible. It's not, uh, you know, because the the only thing I could compare it with was was the thick of it. But the thick of it was the same six people in the same set of offices every week. So I could direct and showrun that at the same time with Veep it's a bigger beast it's a bigger number you're dealing you know she's the vice president of the United States she has motorcade she has crowds wherever she goes she has security details you know you, you've you got a, a larger cast you've got the rooms have got to look big and authentic you've got a massive crow um, the, the production values are enormous Um I think one episode of Veep cost more than several series of thick of it you know that was yeah. it and 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 therefore, you've you you're not just dealing with that one episode. You're dealing with a whole season and how it expands, how the plots develop, and 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 so I found after doing season one that I, you can't direct all the eps as well as be the showrunner. Yeah. So season two onwards, I directed like two eps a, a season mm. because it, it it your mind is constantly across. Everything, absolutely everything. Mm. You know, you're deciding, and and then a show like Avenue Five, you've got the special effects and the graphics, and you know the design element is so crucial as well. Mm. So it's a it's very much full on, really.
2: And when you when you stop working on a show like V, when you, you mm. stop being shown after a, f- a few series, yeah. the last few series, were well, without do you carry on watching it as a as a fan? You, yes, do you yes, absolutely. Like what I,
3: I liked about it was I genuinely didn't know what anyone was going to say next, <laughs> And it sort of reminded me how great a cast they were, really, because yeah. I was. Fan myself laughing at any one of them you know and the things that they said yeah, so uh, you know it was it was it was kind of nice actually i kind of enjoyed just being a viewer really because you don't ever get that i don't know what it's like to be a viewer of the shows that you've made because yeah. you you see it. You, you know too much. Yes, I bet. <laughs> you yeah. know all the sweat that's got into it. Really,
2: yeah. And they did a
3: pretty good job with that ending, didn't they? And I they, they did. It, and like, it yeah. was a great ending. Yeah, no, yes, and yeah. I was able because we did the premiere, the HBO premiere of Avenue Five last. Weekend, and dave mandel was there who was the philip showrunner so i was able to kind of thank him for yeah, yeah. his <laughs> stewardship
2: good stewardship yeah what was it like another example is alan partridge we had yes um this time with alan partridge last year did you watch uh, that uh, yes afar? and and
3: and i sort of my thing with with i i say to steve and to the gibbons brothers that you know if you're planning something else and i'm around more than happy to join in yeah but don't wait for me because I don't want it to stop. And, you know, so they were making it while I was doing David Copperfield and, uh, I think, Stalin and David Copperfield, actually. Um, So, again, I I, I was there for a couple of the early meetings, uh, which were hilarious. (laughs) Um, And so, again, I was a viewer rather than a a kind of participant, really. He makes me laugh, Alan Partridge. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, it's incredible, isn't it? Yeah.
2: To think that that character is 30 years. It's
3: 30 years, and I was trying to work out I think it's because we only really tick him out of his box every four or five years. It's yeah. not like we have one show and then we do four or five se- seasons of it. It's like one show and then five years later, a different show. And then yes. five years later, a different show. And he and it allows him to grow. I mean, you know, st- Steve growing in growing experience as a performer, but also Alan has aged again and yeah. therefore has a fresh set of attitudes and... Behavior, yeah. uh, obsessions—you know—so I think that's allowed us to be able to keep playing with the character and keep re-sort of resetting them.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and do you have time at, in between making films and TV shows? Do you have time to watch TV yourself? Do you watch? Do you binge watch box sets? And I don't. Stuff? I'm
3: not a binge watcher. No. Um, I, I can at the most I can only do two episodes of something okay. back to back, and that and it has to be really good. I'm not. I like. I, I maybe I maybe it's just my generation or something. I'm just a bit old fashioned and um, Watchmen. I'm halfway yeah. through. I'm really enjoying that. Uh, obviously, Succession is amazing. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's amazing. a phenomenal story. Isn't it? Yeah. You've worked
2: with those guys worked
3: with yeah yeah well half of the Avenue 5 writers are on <laughs> succession right and it's a bit of a bit of a minefield trying to get everyone on on the both shows and yes. allowing it to the, the, the schedule to work yeah um no that's great and uh, um every character I mean an amazing cast Matthew McFadden's oh. character incredible yeah. is to- Tom is yeah. is perfect yeah he he's is. just <laughs> I want to see him do, like, a cabaret show yes. or something.
2: <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> well, bore on the floor, wherever it was. That, a bore on that the floor, was, That yeah. was pretty much a kind yeah. of cabaret. Yeah, footage, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's an yeah. incredible show. Um, Armando Iannucci, thank you so much. Thank you. Pleasure, thank, thank you. you.
0: That was Armando Iannucci. And while we're on the subject of space travel, it's time for this week's reviews, starting, I think, right here, right now, <laughs> with the main event, the one, the only, Star Trek Picard. This, of course, <laughs> <laughs> not entirely sure why that's funny, but the sure, that's amazing. I,
2: I it that was you... like, yeah, it was like Alan Park Partridge. Partridge. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. That was so Partridge.
1: That was unbelievable. Godric, Be- Godric! God. Be- God. right. Smell well. my spaceship. <laughs>
0: This does bring Sir Patrick Stewart back to the role that made his career as Jean-Luc Picard, former captain of the Starship Enterprise. The show picks up 20 years after the events of the film Star Trek Nemesis in 2002 and sees the now retired Starfleet officer called back into action when a strange young woman crops up at the Picard family vineyard. In La Bar, France. Now, clearly, clearly, I could bang on about this for the next hour and a half. But before we get to that, let's answer the question that we've all been dying to ask. Terry, did this set your faces to fun? That's the best I've got. Is this right, Alan?
1: entire thing going to be partridge or are we just saving this bit for Picard?
0: Um, I've killed Boyd. Yep.
1: So, I uh, really like this. I did really like this against all of my better judgment <laughs> and against my own free will. Um, I can't say I understood all of it um, because of I haven't watched it and I don't understand enough about the fucking starfleet but do you know what it reminded me of i was saying this to boy earlier it was like logan in space
0: which is what it's designed to be right
1: so Mm. and i and what i enjoyed about the episodes i watched before is it it really set that tone so the the kind of you know the rumination on humanity and the role of optimism still space travel and traveling through time through the mind not through the body um I I tonally, I loved it because it was much more of a character study. And really, that last episode of, of Star Trek Next Generation was essentially a Picard episode, right? It was, yeah. Um, so I really loved that character stuff, like slow-burning character stuff. But what I really liked about Picard is it wasn't just that. So it was shot beautifully. There were a couple of moments, their use of light, and that's actually also what reminded me of Logan. It was very much like when Patrick Stewart's in the desert, um, you know, all of those things about mortality and about aging and about your role in the world at this point. But the writing, first of all, is so lovely. There were so many lines that I was writing down. There's a bit at the beginning where he said dreams are lovely it's the wake up waking up and beginning to resent and you've forgotten who you are but we have like this it's just oh my god if I was actually a fan of the show I'd have been like (laughs) crying I presume um I thought it was really smart the way it used kind of modern elements so there's a tv interview as a kind of a narrative device which enabled a lot of exposition to happen but I didn't feel like that was kind of heavy-handed exposition as somebody who hasn't been familiar with this world i really appreciated it also
0: none of that has happened like that's all new stuff yeah
1: so they're mm. bridging the gap right in yeah. Since what because
0: that stuff's mentioned in the 2009 star trek movie as something that happens yeah. in the future
1: and so. do we pretend the star trek movie hasn't happened because it wasn't very good is the gist i'm getting no
0: there's no there's no pretending all the timeline is locked in the star trek
1: i just mean in this room i don't I mean in, this in, room. The, in narratively so most people think that film is
0: which one the N- Nemesis yes Nemesis so that was the last start the yes. next generation well a lot of people don't like that film yes. I actually think it's pretty good and I think people who really like the series are often quite fond of it because it is quite next generation
1: okay so, oh god! And there's a line where it says, "I haven't been living; I've been waiting to die." Where I was literally like a puddle in the floors. And and so, and these lines give you a, a kind of a sense of the tone and, mm. and where it's and where it's kind of ruminating. But what I loved is it moved between that and some action set pieces that I thought were really well done. There's an initial fight with um, Issa Briones, Briones, who plays. who is a young woman that basically Picard has to help. She feels like he's the only person who can help her with a very specific predicament, which I'm not going to spoil. And these action pieces, and there's another one towards the end, that are actually really well done. And I liked that. I like that propulsive nature and the fact that you'd got that against this much more slow burn character study. There's all these modern references, which again you'd worry would feel clunky in something like this. There's obvious allusions to terrorism and refugees and su- and global superpowers and who has power and who abuses that power and your role within it and the role of optimism and humanity in the world today. It's not the world today, it's the future, but mm-hmm. you get my point. So I thought it was really interesting um, and I really, really... Enjoyed it way more than
0: I thought. It's it's extremely contemporary for yes. Star Trek, extremely. And and the comments they make about you know I never thought I'd see you know the Federation embracing embracing fear and prejudice, and you're just like okay, this is quite pointed. Um, yeah, yeah, lots of good stuff there. And so so you, you, were you did you find that having watched Best of Both Worlds, it made you appreciate it more? Did you like it more having seen that? Did it help?
1: I mean, it kind of set the scene in terms of as I say the tone, some of the themes. Um, who the Borg were. Yes. Yeah, I mean, just basics. So, but actually, I think you could have watched this Picard episode on its own. Mm. And I wouldn't want anyone not to watch it because they feel like they haven't watched Next Generation and they wouldn't be able to get into it. Mm. Obviously, there is a deeper understanding if you understand who these characters are. And But I, I think they do enough heavy lifting in terms of um exposition an exposition done really well that you can just go in cold. Mm, I
0: agree. I think actually what they've done really well here is made it so that for people who love Star Trek it takes all the boxes they would want, but it's it's entirely accessible mm. because it is, as you say, it's a character study and everything you need to know, you are given. Mm. Like it, it it happens organically throughout the, the episode. You saw one I take yes. yeah, those. So Boyd and I have seen three. Have you seen all three, I Boyd? Have, yeah. yeah
2: Boyd, what did you make of it? I think yeah they've done a brilliant job basically of um, some have, of, of that, of the example of in that episode one of that TV interview is very mm-hmm. clever because then that gets referred to repeatedly because everyone I did everyone in the galaxy is watching that interview yeah. is really smart so everyone's kind of up to speed with the situation including the viewer and I thought that, and there's lots of stuff that happens like that throughout the whole thing where so, so they've done this they've achieved the the, the difficult task of. I mean, I watched Next Generation kind of most of it when it went out, or however mm. old I was at the time. And I've never gone back and watched it. I'm not some kind of lunatic who rewatches watches <laughs> things. Um, so I'd forgotten all of that stuff, and and yet it kind of reminds you enough of what the Borg were and are, and the and the Romulans and all of that to give you a grounding in the story. And yet, because it is so so much about him, and we can all. Um, Identify with the oh well if you're at my age you can of kind of doing a, a job for a long time then then kind of being asked to, to come back wanting to come back and facing a challenge that affects your mortality and what you've been doing and your in your identity and your sense in the world and all of that and all of that is dealt with as you say mm. script wise brilliantly I do see the I, I mean I'm not I haven't researched it but Michael Chabon who I keep banging on about is one of the greatest writers in the world because well, he's built as the he show he's built a show and yeah. I think mm. it's absolutely all there he's so smart at storytelling and and um dialogue, he's a fucking genius writer and you, they've got one of the greatest, best writers in the world, full stop, working, running the show, it's pretty incredible and I think you know, I'm biased because I love him but I think it's all there, you know, I, I do think that there's a, there's a line in episode 3 where um, Picard says, um, this isn't a spoiler, where he says, I don't like science fiction and I was like, that just <laughs> spins out yeah. I love that, there's just stuff like that that's kind of playful and clever and funny, the opening sequence is fucking brilliant mm. this um, dream sequence that he yes. has is incredible, and so this it's kind Kind of like got that thing. I I hate the phrase "fan service," but what this shows me is that you can do fan service. You can please fans. You can you can give cameos for characters who the fans want to see. You know, any fan of the show will will lap up. You know, appearances by old characters and just the way it refers back to all of that stuff. But you don't. It doesn't. It it's just there, kind of as an additional. Pleasure provider, if you like, rather than just doing it for the sake of it and ruining the the whole story and making the whole plot seem ridiculous. The story is really interesting anyway, and and yet it's kind of is servicing fans, so to speak, at the same time. So they have done a really really good job, yeah. Mm. And it is, as you say, it's, it's it is. If it it feels like a piece with Peak TV and all of that, and I think you know yeah. the the um, what's the 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 other series <laughs> um, Discovery. Thank you, Discovery is really beautifully made as well, mm. but this this does feel. Even better to me. Like that, I don't know, there's something about this. I guess it's because he is the best. He is such a brilliant character in, the, in all of Star Trek history. Mm. And I'm a huge fan of original Star Trek. I was brought up watching William Shatner. But he, this guy is absolutely brilliant and he gives. And why wouldn't he agree to do it? Because he's got so much juicy stuff to do. It's such a rich part. It's such a, it's such a fantastic role for him. You know, he's clearly having the time of his life. So. Mm. Yeah.
0: No, I agree. I think the I think it's, it's interesting what you say about fan service. I think fan service, the way Star Wars has been doing it of late, and certainly what I've read about The Mandalorian as well, it's crowbarred in and it's clunky as hell. And here, there's fan service, but it's so organic to the story. And some of it is so subtle as well, uh, stuff that you just wouldn't necessarily latch on to. There's, me, there's mention of, uh, when they're talking about data and androids, so there's mention of, of Bruce Maddox in this. Uh, there's an episode of The Measure of a Man, where Bruce Maddox, um, they essentially they, they go on trial, to see if data has human rights and it's about whether or not they can disassemble data to see how he works or whether or not he has the same rights as an organic individual, whether he is a person and this guy Maddox is the opposing counsel uh, or rather he's one of the people trying to get it done and right, anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I won't get too much into it. I won't get too Tell much into more it. more about this example. <laughs> but, but it's really interesting and actually, so I, I re-sort re of framed what I thought people should watch. I think Best of Both Worlds is good because I think if you don't know who the Borg are at mm. all, then that shot of the first episode is kind of meaningless. Mm. I think The Measure of a Man is a really good one because it, it sets up who data is and the sort of philosophical uh, and ethical conundrums around him as an artificial being. Um, I think watching Star Trek Nemesis while people rag on that I think that's quite important because I think it has the Picard data relationship in there and also it's the last time we saw them so I think that's key too. So I think those are the big ones for me. I think You'd Have Liked the Inner Light. That's a really good episode. That's a good Picard one. But anyway, I'm going off track slightly. sidetracked. I'm getting sidetracked as I tend to. <clears throat> Obviously I thought This was absolutely amazing. More's the point, though. It's unlike anything else that's ever been in Star Trek, including Discovery. And it's like, Discovery is an odd one, because Discovery starts in a very cinematic, different way because of the nature of how it was rolled out. So those first two episodes were, for all intents and purposes, a TV movie pilot on CBS to get people to sign up to Mm -hmm. All Access. So it's hard to compare it to that. But this doesn't feel like a traditional Trek show. And the, the reason I think for that is the pacing is very, very language isn't really the word, but it takes its time to get where it's going. The first three hours of this, the first three episodes, I would say, are a traditional pilot setup. Like the first, it takes those first three episodes to get where this story begins, so you understand where you're going. And it's like, so it really does explores the character, explores the world, explores the setup and the themes, and it kind of it, it revels in what it's what it's trying to do. And you're right, he is he is he's a phenomenal character and always has been, but. And this is why Stuart agreed to do this. The idea that he could do with Picard what he'd done with Professor X and Logan to see this character you know, in his twilight years looking back on his career and looking back on his life and the mistakes he's made and also being part of a world that he doesn't really fit into anymore. And there's a wonderful sequence in the second episode where he goes back to Starfleet Command and there's a bit of it in the trailer. And it's really rough. Yeah, like that, he's, is, a, that it's is a brilliant scene. really yeah. rough. It's, it's absolutely incredible. There's
2: a brilliant design moment in that. Scene where he walks in. What, what the Enterprise D? And 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 he looks up to the ceiling. Yeah, and and there's a holographic projection of the Enterprise D above him I thought that was so clever. Those touches are brilliant because they're kind of. They do, they, you know, they're kind of managed to be incredibly moving and profound, and then they just kind of matter-of-factly drop them in. Mm. The way they use the music, I think the way the music yeah. is fantastic. The music's amazing. I think the theme is beautiful. Yes. by Jeff Rosso is it? Uh, I think so. Yeah. But also the way they they use the original music very, yeah. very sparingly. But when they do, it's like whoa. Well, at the end a, of episode three, there's a beautiful composition
0: that yeah. riffs on the next gen yeah. theme, which is lovely. Um, there's so much to love in this. It's funny. The sort of like you know, he goes to a replicator at the beginning. It's like tea, Earl Grey, decaf, and it's just. And that perfectly sets the tone for what this is trying to do, and leading this kind of bucolic lifestyle on this on the vineyard with his two sort of Romulan sort of house styles. Oh yeah, by
2: the way, who are yeah they're literally yeah. I know. who are they? His assistants, his mates. But, his, but I, love, I love I love the funny. fact
0: that both of them have quite clear histories, and you get to understand mm. where they've come from. Obviously, terms like Tal Shiar Terry would be what the
2: fuck is this? Jad Vaj. Uh, yes. What the, is the Jad Vaj? That's the
0: uh, well, that would be a spoiler. But the Tal Shiar <laughs> mean, is uh, is the Romulan essentially the sort of the MIC. Of Romulus, for all intents and purposes. Hmm. Um, How do you spell Jadvaj? I don't know. I mean, my Romulan is rusty. I surely, don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Um, right. But yeah, I really like the idea that sort of that there's a refugee crisis at the heart of this, and how the 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 Starfleet reaction to this refugee crisis, which has been has not covered anyone in glory, that's you know one of the key sort of plot points of this, and how that reflects the real world. I really really enjoyed that. You know, it's got false flag attacks. It's got the android. There's an android sort of rebellion in there as well, which I thought was a nice a nice kind of plot point to kind of thicken what it is they're doing, and and the way that plays out. You start to understand more of what happened there. It's alluded to in the first episode and you start seeing more of it uh, as it goes on. I really like that. And I like the fact that even though the Borg are in this and there are presents and there may be more of it later on, but at the moment, they're just there as texture. Like, it's not a key plot point. It's under... they don't sit down and say well what happened to the Borg was this you infer from what's happening how the universe has changed and I think this is that's that wonderful thing they you know they explain by doing not by telling really? so show not tell mm. which I think always works works really well um, so yeah really enjoyed loads and loads of scenes in this I loved um, I love there's a there's a, a Romulan CSI sequence that I enjoyed enormously and Hugh Jonathan Del Arco who turns up on a Borg cube that's that I mean we all knew that that's not a spoiler that was advertised uh, a long time in advance it's nice to see him back in that role and again they don't make a meal of that and it's one of these things where if you know who he is great and if you don't it doesn't matter let's just move on I didn't Um, also they carry on what Discovery did which is introducing you know the swears to the Star Trek Mm -hmm. universe yeah and there's, I remember, there's a character who <laughs> goes to Picard, it's like the sheer fucking hubris to him. And I'm like, don't you swear it's on Picard? I was really taken aback by it. I said, like, yeah. what are you doing? Doesn't
2: doesn't someone tell him to fuck off all the Yes. Point? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's like, it's good. quite, you know, it's quite salty yeah, in and language. Some, and then some sex action. Yeah, yeah, there's lots of stuff going on here. So <laughs> Harry Treadaway is really good. Yes, he as, is. As whoever he is. Yeah,
0: Narek, he's a Romulan. Romulan. Yes, that's Thing. right. Yeah. Well, I was uh,
1: quite shocked by the, the violence in the opening mm. scene. Yeah. Um towards a woman and it wrong foots you without spoiling anything it does wrong foot you but I was quite taken aback by how I don't know why I didn't expect it to be like that because in my head Next Generation is family it's, friendly. It's, it's also
0: untracked like violent because it's quite mm. visceral sort of human you know, violence human violence physical violence mm. and you don't tend to get and it's well choreographed as well you don't tend to get a lot mm. of that in Star Trek. Uh, so that feels different as well. It has a really different feel and it has a, and what I, I always love Star Trek at its best when it is purely plot driven it's arc based uh, and this, this this, really is. They do fun things with holograms in this which again probably won't be, on, be much to you but there's a really fun riff on the on the emergency medical hologram in this. Uh, I, this was everything I wanted it to be and more I just thought it was magnificent I went to the premiere last week and they only showed the first episode and I was mortified when it finished but Stuart came out and he said he'd wanted them to show the first three and they'd said no and I kind of realised why now because those first
2: three do feel like that's what sets up this show like those three yeah, episodes they should have said the three They should have They're only 45 minutes long by the mm. way mm. Which, yeah. which I think really works I don't know there's something about the fact that they're not a full hour I think there's something I mean because I agree with you the storytelling is quite deliberately paced mm. Mm. it's not and and, you know they could have gone to where they end up on episode 3 in the first episode but I really like that pace; I think it works really well
1: was there anything James as a um, psychopathic um, super fan (laughs) was there anything you were disappointed with
0: Honestly, no. There's a there, it wrong foots you in the first episode in a big way at one point. That didn't disappoint me, but I was properly shocked by mm. that and didn't see it coming. Um, no, there was nothing at all. You know, him speaking French to the dog. The fact the dog is called Number One. I just found it
2: incredibly touching. The dog. Can I just say the dog doesn't make enough appearances after episode one. Like, the, dog's the dog's real dog name kind of wanders or, wanders out off yeah. scene. Well, he doesn't uh, really come I into think... space. But the dog's real name is De Niro. There's I know. For you. But De Niro. But Number One should be back. Should be in it more often. He still he still doesn't go into space yet. And it's no. still not enough dog action. No, there That's should be more. That's your one complaint. No, I I thought Alison Pill was really fun uh, as
0: Dr. Agnes Jurati. That scene, I would say, okay, if I'm, to, if I'm to... My one criticism, my one criticism of the first episode is that scene with uh, uh, Alison Pill is the closest it gets to techie plot dump and it felt a little bit like... I get they were trying to cover a lot of yeah. ground in a short period of time, but that was a little clumsy. And the final scene of the first episode... Is clumsy, and it's clumsy in that it does exactly the opposite of what it's been doing thus far. Is it tells it doesn't show. There is a specific thing that you are supposed to notice in that scene, and rather than just letting you notice it, a character visually draws your attention to it, and then another character, in case that wasn't enough, actually stares at it and then talks about it. And it's just like, come on, we got it first. We definitely got it the second time. The third thing was deeply unnecessary. So that's probably the only thing that bugged me. But um, but no, I I thought uh, the super fan in me loved this, and I just thought it. It was a beautifully crafted thing of
1: beauty. beauty. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to disagree with you on this yeah. on this point, James.
0: They've done a really good job with this. And frankly, this, this could have gone spectacularly wrong. Well, it this, really could have this
1: for me, does do what The Witcher doesn't. Just to draw a contrast with The Witcher, yeah, which, is, it's yeah. completely which is accessible. completely I mean, impenetrable, mm. which it just makes you feel like... This is a world you don't understand. You'll never understand. If you want to try and watch it and understand it, then you're free to. But you're also too stupid to, probably, <laughs> or maybe you've got too good a taste. Yeah. The latter. Um. But I. Wh- that's what I loved about this, and I wonder if that's where a couple of the moments you're talking about comes from them trying to make it as accessible, yeah. and as kind of wide reaching as possible.
2: Well, I also think the, the, the comes of the genre, because it is a mystery. Because I think that's really clever that he is he yeah. the, the or a lot of the stuff that you don't understand what's going on. He doesn't understand what's yes. going either, and he's trying to work out. What what the fuck's happening at the same time as you are. And I think that is the ma- a masterstroke because it doesn't, couldn't, didn't need to be like that because a lot, a lot of Star Trek isn't like that. and But this is definitely like a whole mystery and he's trying to work out what is going on. Yeah,
0: I, I think, but also Star Trek has a reputation for just being like, people tend to associate with just being nerdy nonsense, Terry, for example. <laughs> Whereas I think they did, they've deliberately tried to soften the sort of hard edges and give as many access points as possible so that people can say, do you know what, Sir Patrick Stewart bit of a legend I'll watch this regardless of whether I'm going to watch you know seven years of Star Trek in the that's the you went a
2: very laddie there stop yeah. <laughs> Patrick, a bit of a legend <laughs> bit of a ledge
1: it's an, um, but haven't they humanised it that's the thing right so very I was much, sh- yeah. I was shocked that it was this this the character study that it was, because I expected all of when it, I, when, when you're in the vineyard, I was like, oh, mm. and there's a dog, and he's speaking. For, I'm like, I can get on board with this, and yeah. he's sad and ruminative and and ponderous. I'm mm. like, this is this is my kind of speed, and I think that that is is the thing is is they've sought to. Put him as a character at the heart of it. He, as far as I'm aware, it's the only Star Trek with his, somebody's name in it, right? Yeah. And that, and they, and they're making him the heart of the show. And I think that that being the case, it has to be all about the mm. character. But the fact that they've pulled off character work within this existing franchise, I think, is, remar- is remarkable.
0: Mm. No, there's it, it's uh, it's the strongest opening to any Star Trek series. Whoa. That's not saying an awful lot, to be honest, because almost oh, yeah. all of them start terribly. Discovery didn't, but uh, but Discovery itself is is Discovery is great, but it's a little uneven. And obviously, we've only seen three episode three episodes. Of this it could go horribly <laughs> off the rails in episode four. I don't know, but I don't think it will. And there's a there is a real lightness of touch to this, and it's it's it knows exactly what it's doing. It's very sort of even in its tone. It's it's there's a confidence to this. Hmm. And it doesn't feel, to Boyd's point earlier, like they're making it up as they go along and they're feeling around in the dark. It feels this has been well conceived, well executed. I mean, they, bear in mind they had to pitch this to Patrick Stewart to talk him into doing it, which you can read about in the latest issue of Pilot TV magazine and my extensive feature on the subject. Yeah. I, it, it's awesome. Watch it. If you don't like Star Trek, watch it. If you do like Star Trek, watch it. If you have eyes, watch it. That's all I'm going to say. Star Trek Picard... Available now on Amazon, not all of it, just the first episode. The second one will drop this week and because it's going to be weekly. It's weekly. It's yeah. weekly. Because
2: it's, it, it's CBS. All, yes, access all it on. It is. In, in, in a, it is. R- which is a week, which is not. Yeah. They don't dump stuff.
1: I think it... I, I quite like the idea yeah, of I it think being it's good. weekly. It's, yeah, yeah, it's that kind yeah. of show. Yeah. It's
2: structured that way. Although I do think they should have
0: shown the first three episodes on one night because I feel like mm. that's a one mm, thing. But maybe. hey, that's just me. Star Trek Begarde, ladies and gentlemen. Right. <laughs> Next up this week is the 10th season of... Curb Your Enthusiasm, Uh, Larry David's comedy of embarrassment in which, what I can only assume from having watched it, the man himself wanders around LA and is randomly rude to people who cross his path. That's that's my takeaway from this. Now, I should confess, I come to this particular show uninitiated. So, Boyd, can I ask you to curb-splain to me a bit and bring me up to speed? What on earth is this? You have really never seen any. I was gonna te- say, yeah. like,
1: you've never really? seen a single episode. As I
0: recall, I watched the pilot, oh. which would have been ten years yeah. ago. Yeah, did not like it at all and never oh, returned. Okay, fine. But I have no memory of that pilot or why I didn't
2: like it or what it was. Right. <laughs> well, let me just say that. I mean, this is my Star Trek. Really, it's like my equivalent. I uh, this is like one of my favorite shows of all okay, time. So okay, so this good. is the cr- co-creator of Seinfeld, my other yeah. f- favorite show of all time, with Jerry. So Jerry and Larry created Seinfeld together. Obviously, Larry wasn't in Seinfeld, though he did voice the character. Um, this is his. Uh, own show, kind of based very much on his persona, which is um, you know a general kind of people-hating, doesn't like people, wants to say what the fuck he wants to say, wh- you know whether it's socially acceptable or not. He does not go by social niceties. He does not play by the rules. But the. I'm using the word genius, the genius of it is he's not like one of those twats, you know, one of those kind of like, what's his name this week, the actor? um, Lawrence Fox. He's not Lawrence Fox, thank you. You know, he's not a fucking moron who's just trying to be offensive for the sake of it and, you know, is trying to annoy, in quotes, woke people. I hate that word, but there we go. He just is who he is, who is a self-absorbed, hugely rich... Massively, you know, um, entitled old white guy, and he's fully aware of it. And I think that's key, he's absolutely aware of what all of that means and doesn't give a shit because he is who he is. So that is the content. So yeah, he does. In the first the first, if you want to know what sums him up, absolutely, in this first episode, in the first five minutes, he's walking down the street with his mate Leon, played by JB Smooth. He sees a young couple with a selfie stick filming themselves, he grabs a selfie stick, smashes it on his knee, and walks on down the road. And that is Larry. This that is this version of that, who does what you couldn't actually do in real life because that would be terrible. But he does this stuff and gets away with it. What's really interesting is... Um, about this season is it does deal with the Me Too movement and the Me Too thing. And you think if you wrote, if you kind of just stated the bald facts of that Larry David is going <laughs> to mansplain, you know, Me Too from his old white privileged bloke point of view, and end up embroidering a storyline where he accidentally, you know, basically assaults women, and he he's, you'd go, oh my god, that is awful, that is terrible, he shouldn't be doing it, you know, it's offensive, blah blah. blah. But somehow he gets away with it, and I think he gets away with it because he's not saying. This is a thing that is, excuses other people who have committed horrendous crimes against women. This is just a thing that happens to Larry because that's who Larry is. And as a side point, his manager, Jeff, is who does look like Harvey Weinstein, that becomes a brilliant plot point that everyone mistakes Jeff for oh, Harvey so Weinstein. Oh, so he's a regular character? Jeff is yeah. his manager. His oh, partner. I didn't realise yeah. that. I absolutely. thought he'd been brought in just because he looks no. like Harvey Weinstein. No, he's a regular character. Just so
1: happens, just so happens Yeah, like he looks like Harvey Weinstein.
2: So that is, a. Br- I thought, absolutely phenomenal, brilliant kind of just thing because he just does. He really does look like Okay. So you know, in this episode, he lectures a pregnant woman about doing too much exercise. You know, <laughs> he um, he's just horrible. I did feel it was incredibly fast moving. It packed in so much more than the usual amount of Curb. I thought that there is, I think, there's a new kind of joint show. I mean, he's the showrunner, but creates it. But he kind of creates it with a couple of other people, and one of those is a new person. And I feel it does like the pace feels like kind of more relentless, than perhaps, than usual. And the incredible amount was packed into the first episode. I fucking loved it.
0: Terry Boyd's
1: right (laughs) Boyd is right 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 I noticed the pace change as well Mm. because it is it sets its own speed it always has done and you literally move from kind of vignette to vignette to vignette to vignette and it, it like barrels along but right from the opening thing, she do go okay what is Larry David in 2020 and every version I came up with was kind of excruciating because as you say Larry dealing with me too and you're like well they're going to have to put some moralistic spin on it for him to be able to even tackle this um and it was all done so brilliantly because it was all done within the context of this show. So it all feels authentic because they weren't trying to crowbar in. I mean, there's mansplaining, there's Weinstein, there's Me Too, there's a selfie stick, there's a mag, um, maga hat, maga yeah. hat. I never know how he's fucking <laughs> say that thing. All these nods to kind of contemporary society, contemporary issues, modern life. And you think it actually just makes it more excruciating and funnier because he's never been more out of step but everything is the same from the beginning you know that opening scene where he's walking down the street with Leon and they're discussing their relative skin tones just before he snaps the selfie stick there's a brilliant scene in a coffee shop about the heat of the coffee um, which has some amazing physical comedy in it I have to say all of the stuff around the me too stuff i just i i haven't laughed this much at something in ages and it made me remember how much i loved it and i'm not surprised that you haven't seen it and i think i know why you won't have liked it initially which is it's excruciating to watch
0: i can't i yeah. can't it's the, the yeah. frem shaman stuff yeah. isn't it yeah it's excruciating shaman, to watch sorry.
1: because you see there's, there's a bit with a waitress and you can see it's signposted exactly what's going to happen and he's blind to it and you you as the viewer you know exactly what's coming up and he can't help but stumble into these scenarios and I actually, and I've seen some criticism online from various people saying, oh, you know, the women don't have agency and he doesn't deal with those things in a serious or considered way. But that's not what Curb Enthusiasm is for. It has to be relevant for it to make sense today. But that's not what it is, and I'm glad that they didn't do that as a kind of a panicked reaction Mm. to what people might say. I like that they stuck to the truth of the character. Nothing in it is offensive, or we're not talking about that. But they deal with it in a way that is absolutely right for Kerb. And it is just... You forget how, and we'll talk about how this isn't true for all TV shows (laughs) in a minute, I'm sure, just how absolutely spectacular the writing is and just how funny it is, like the number of jokes that just land like bullseye mm. in just this one episode is phenomenal
2: and as he, and as he always loved doing in Seinfeld, he he, um, he plants jokes yes. early on and they come back to them again and again and there are all, all kinds of things ideas and jokes little, little things that are planted you don't know what's, why is that happening there and then they're all it all kind of he, he ties them up beautifully in the end, and it, it's just a fan, he, he is um, all of that stuff. I love the way he kind of creates ideas and refers to them, and comes back to them, and creates these recurring jokes. It's incredible. And this character, Susie, wearing the yeah. ridiculous hat, oh she's brilliant. Just you know, it is it, it, it yeah. Can't
1: get off of it. And the, I mean, the moment, at the, the moment at the party when he's mistaken for Weinstein and this and the woman walks up and goes, who the fuck invited you? And you know, before they've said, yeah. and this is the brilliance of Kirby's, is, is the delicacy of it. Nobody said he looks like Weinstein. She didn't say, who the fuck invited you, Harvey Weinstein. As soon as she said, I was like, who does he look like? And as soon as she walks over and said, who the fuck invited you, I was like, oh my God, she thinks yeah. he's Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. Like, the trust they have in the audience to know that's the joke they're making without telling... Telegraphing hmm. it and then overtly kind of over. I just love that they have that belief yeah. in their own show, but also in the people watching their show.
2: Anyway, what do you think?
0: It's quite long, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs>
2: 38 minutes.
0: Like, no, no, but it's for, for a comedy. It's longer than expected. So it's 38, eight minutes longer oh, than Well, yeah. no, no, because most right. comedies are like mid twenties, aren't they? Mid 20 minutes. Like, you know, so no, it's, HBO it's comedies, HBO's not bad, so they're half Are half. we splitting Yeah, over I mean, what the fuck? That's your minutes. main.
2: That's your main issue. The eight minutes no, longer than I just thank he gets to do that however long he wants because he's fucking Larry David. Like, it's
0: funny listening to you two talk about it as if it's a masterpiece, and I'm like, I just don't see it. Like, don't get me wrong, I like some of the ideas in it like the Weinstein thing I thought was, was clever and well executed I enjoyed the stuff with the Marga hat and I totally sympathised with us thought you know what I might use that um, but <laughs> <laughs> that's a good idea get out of a date yeah, yeah exactly I thought that was I thought that was quite funny but um, did I laugh at any point no oh um, God, did I monster. smile possibly internally um I just yeah like it didn't I didn't find it funny I thought and also I found it quite clumsy like the stuff with the selfie stick I thought oh this is just first base shit humor you know that just didn't make me laugh at all um, but it but there, it has moments it has ups and downs the whole mocha joe thing in the coffee shop I had no time for
2: um, oh love mocha joe but I
0: like Who's I like moments and I, I like the gradual build up and how the things came together for the sort of Weinsteininess at the end and I, I thought yeah you know it's quite funny I just don't understand how this has been sustained over ten years because it's a show that's not about anything like nothing happens there's no story. It just does. It have a script? Is it a scripted show, or does he? Is it heavily improvised? It's heavily improvised because yeah. it does but feel you know, a he lot...
2: writes a very, very detailed outline, and then um, they improvise around it. Yeah, but in, yeah, yeah, in a, in a brilliant way. Yeah, I,
0: like, <laughs> I got I
2: got that from it. It felt, and of it course, felt, it's about you know, nothing. I mean, that that's what people famously said about. Seinfeld, yeah, but it, it's about this guy, this character, and this persona, and the people around him, and his friends, and his family, and how he navigates the world. I mean, you know, yeah, but it's. It's fucking great I, I think. I
0: think always. And I got to see Larry David's sex face, which was something unexpected. Oh, yeah, that um, too, extraordinary. I, I, you know, and I'm with him on talcum powder. But other than that, <laughs> all I'm going to say is, I. It's not for me. It's, it's not for me. I'm not going to judge it. It's just not for me. Okay. That is Kirby Enthusiasm, which drops on Sky Comedy on Tuesday, January 28th at 9 p.m. Sky Comedy, eh? Yes. Getting off to a good start. Launching, um, to, launching today,
2: Monday, if you're listening right. to this, the day we come yeah. out on Monday. And
0: it's just all of Sky's comedy now gets funneled this way. It's all American comedy. Because this would have been Atlantic previously, wouldn't it?
2: Yeah. So this mm. is, it's American comedy. So the com- it's, it's kind of, ska- all of, all of the sh- comedy stuff they've they acquired from America is on here. But mm. homegrown comedy is still going to be on Sky 1 or Sky, right. or well, or Sky 1. Confused, it's, it's a bit confusing. So Avenue 5, for example, is on Sky 1, even though it's a co-production. What? Yeah. I know. That's mental. It's a bit confusing, yeah.
1: Going to be really easy to find the stuff you want to watch, Boyd.
2: <laughs> yeah, but just, you know. That by the way, but it's, if you want it's going to it could take over your life because they've got they're going sh- they're showing all of like Sex and the City from the start or is is all available and loads of brilliant shows and the one we're about to review as I well. I never made it past I think season 3 of Sex and the City. Uh, oh, well, you should have not. Yeah, I don't yeah. know Because he probably got really good around season. Did it? Four, five off the yeah. top of my head.
0: Uh, yeah, midway. A classic yeah, think? I, I Basically, drink. I took a page out of Terry's book, and I was like, no, mm. I'm just going to give up. And then should have should have stuck with it. Anyway, uh, <laughs> finally this week is Miracle Workers. This is the, uh, well, the first series of this drops on Sky Comedy this week, which is made only marginally confusing by the fact that season two of this drops in the US this week so we are a year behind this is an anthology comedy from Simon Rich the first season of this is being based on his novel What in God's Name and this reimagines heaven as a kind of I guess low level government bureaucracy it stars Steve Buscemi as gods and Daniel Radcliffe as a heavenly civil servant he's in charge of the Department of Answered Prayers and when a new employee played by Geraldine Viswanathan joins him in this kind of underfunded and thankless task they end up making a bet with the almighty with the future of Earth hanging in the balance now, Terry. Divine Comedy or God Awful?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's um, it's so bad that actually the latter doesn't adequately cover it. So I was, I you know, I was actually I was quite excited by this, and I hadn't read any of the online reviews. You know, because you do have Steve Buscemi. This he produces it as well as stars in it. You've got writers and producers from an SNL. Everything about this, Daniel Radcliffe is also producing it, which is slightly more of a curveball, but still, you know, that there is talent involved in this. Geraldine Viswanathan, who I loved in Blockers, I have to say, she was incredible in that, is a great little comedic actress. I won't say little because that's (laughs) too wrong. I can cut it out. Is a great comedic actress. I thought I would really like this, but it is desperately unfunny, which is the biggest problem with it, is it's really, really unfunny. The writing isn't what you'd expect from that kind of uh, talent on board. And as you say, Bashemi is this shit god um, <laughs> who doesn't care about humanity. It opens and he's flicking through the telly and there's like disaster after disaster after disaster. It's obviously, you know, the apocalypse is not even near. It's right upon us. Radcliffe is um, massively underwhelming as this bottom-of-the-rung angel, as you say, who's single-handedly running the Department for Answered Prayers. Uh, I mean, and that's kind of... the, The subtlety is at that level, right? And then when she joins and, you know... They make this deal with God because he's decided he's going to end the the world because he's oh god I mean it's so con- like oh it's so contrived so I found it incredibly co- contrived I found the jokes incredibly contrived um, the performances just weren't there and it just what that was my biggest thing is I was waiting for it to be funny I was like this has to be funny. And there is something, is there an amusing concept in the fact you set essentially an office comedy? It could have been, a lot of the setups could have been The Office itself, Mm. set in heaven, and heaven's nothing like you expect, and 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 heaven is a bit like the American version of Slough, um, (laughs) and God is a narcissistic, like, lazy arse. Um, What would that be like? I mean, that could have legs, you'd presume, but it's just executed so badly and there were bits where I thought are they trying to is it that it's that slightly awkward humor and that slightly kind of you know there's elevator music playing it's not meant to be that slick but none of it worked for me at all I struggled to get to the end of one episode
0: and it's like 24 minutes long
1: and it is to your earlier point 24 minutes
0: long
2: yeah Boyd, you loved it, didn't you? I couldn't stand it. Wow! Uh, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, I, ladies
0: and gentlemen, the podcast yeah. has won. We found yeah.
2: the show. No, there are shows The show write. that Boyd doesn't like. broke,
1: The show that broke Boyd.
2: <laughs> it was interesting because before the podcast, I was like, I wonder if everyone else liked it. Um, it's weird because Simon Rich, whose stories it's based on and who created it, yeah. and wrote, I know, I've know i never read any of him, but friends of mine absolutely love him and, you know, constantly badgering me to read his stuff. Um... I think it might be one of those things where it's in 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 moving it from page to screen, it's just gone horribly wrong. Clearly, it's somehow gone horribly wrong, and I feel like the tone of it is twee and very try hard. And I don't obviously, it's a fantastical vision of God and angels and all of that, so it's not supposed to be realistic. But the problem is, even within that context, I didn't believe a word of it like I didn't believe this version of God I didn't believe it's Steve Buscemi trying really hard to be you know a pathetic version of God and Lebowski, Daniel Radke, yeah it's just yeah. everyone's just oh it's just all laboured laboured is the word and um, I did find it pretty difficult to, to watch the 24 minutes as opposed to the absolute breeze that is the 38 minutes of Curb so I was massively disappointed Lolly Fope's in it as well who was in Shrill last week mm. He yeah. was brilliant in everything um, I mean I was slightly critical of Shrill now I'm like Shrill was fucking a <laughs> compared to this. Um, but I think it suffers as well, because of course it's got a similar thing going on to the good place, you know, if you think about it. Yep. But the good place did it brilliantly again in comparison I know Good Place has gone off the rails to some extent for some viewers but when it started it established its universe in a brilliantly convincing and it all worked like that version of the afterlife and heaven and hell and all of that just worked and angels and everything this does not work in any way it just doesn't fucking work so yeah I mean it's, it's painful Yeah, I was going to say the same thing this brought
0: to mind not just because of its setting but just what it tries to do and like they have a conversation about someone eating a worm and whatnot And I was like, this is the kind of skit you can absolutely imagine being on the good place, but just done better. Yeah. So this this was just a very meh place, this was. It just, (laughs) yeah, it was a shit good place. Now, (laughs) the the irony, of course, the shit place, yes. The irony, (laughs) of course, is that I didn't really hate this. I didn't, I had no real issue with it. It just felt. It was tedious, and unfunny like so many comedies you two make me watch. <laughs> oh like, I was just a bit like, I don't understand how this is so much worse than half the other shit oh, I have no. to sit through. It was clearly less enjoyable than Kirby Enthusiasm. I, even I, can make that distinction. But I was like, I oh, know it wasn't very funny. There was a bit like I, there were a couple of it, some part made me smile, which is a bit with a, a the shotgun killer <laughs> that that bit. I, I was like, yeah, you know, was a small small curve of the lip there, but. Um, No, no, it wasn't good. But, you know, so many of these comedies aren't, Terry. I don't know what to tell you. But
1: I think Boyd makes a really interesting point, which is that... You have to believe in, in some part of it. It has to, you know, the relationships between them, the world they're living in, all of those things have to be established and you have to be brought into them to think it's worth your while watching and investing your time. And the whole thing felt to me like an extended kind of skit almost. Mm. Like it was like a, you know, three yeah. minute bit that had got spun out into... 24 of the longest minutes mm. in my
0: entire life. <laughs> that is a very... That's a good analogy. It is like a three-minute SNL skit that someone's turned into a
2: long It's got a lot of SNL thing. people involved.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, and season two of this is a completely separate story with obviously mm-hmm. the same people in it. So, anyway, that is Miracle Workers. This airs on Sky Comedy and starts today, Monday, January 27th at 9pm. Um now also out this week a bunch of other things. So Boyd, you may or may not have seen some of these. Yes, uh, the Windermere children on BBC yes. Two. I have seen is, the Windermere children,
2: which looks very good. Yeah, so this is on tonight. If you're listening to this on Monday, the day the podcast comes out at nine o'clock, BBC Two. And I have to say, I've watched this so that you particularly, James, don't have to because I don't think you will make it. I don't think you'll be able to cope with the show. Is it too I too have bleak? To say, it's well. It's it, this is a story. It's a true story. It's a ninety-minute one-off um, TV drama f- slash film. Um, this is part of a season of programmes on the BBC. Um, it's the seventy-fifth anniversary of the um, of the end of the Holocaust and of the end of World mm. War Two, and this is a true story of how child survivors of um, concentration camps were um, rescued and brought to. England. They're brought to various countries in Europe, and this this focus on a group of children brought to England, brought to the the Lake Windermere area, and it starts with them in this trains being taken to this this new life, and honestly it is devastatingly moving. It's one of the most moving things I've ever seen in my life. So, and I think the reason I'm saying you've, I I just think if you can't, it's, it's coping with, it's so convincing. It's so, the authenticity is so brilliantly done. Uh, Simon Block wrote it. Um, They've just, it's so real from start to finish. It's like you're watching a documentary about what happened to these kids. So you're thinking, oh my God, they've survived concentration camps. A lot of the kids went went to three or four different concentration camps for various reasons. Um, And they're you know, so, just trying to tried to understand the unbelievable traumas they've gone through, lost, you know, in almost all cases, lost their parents and their families, etc. Being taken to this, they don't really have no idea what's going on. They're all speaking German or Polish or whatever. And they're being brought, which is a brilliant thing, they're being brought to this new life, but they just have no idea what's going on. So they're kind of constantly in a state of what the fuck is happening to me. And it dramatises that and shows you that so brilliantly and it is completely based on the real people, the real um, people's stories. So a lot of mm. the people in their 90s now have contributed to this uh, drama and have told their stories to the right and He is brilliantly turned to the screen. And, oh my god, the bit at the end where you see the real people uh, is unbelievable. So this is if you can cope. I mean, I'm almost barely way up now because it is absolutely devastating, but incredibly important to watch. And I mean, I knew roughly you know the story because I'm Jewish and I know a lot. You know, a lot of uh, friends of mine have families of Holocaust survivors, etc. And you know, a lot. I've read a lot of these stories, but to see it done so brilliantly turned into a drama, so brilliantly, is incredibly powerful. Mm. So yeah. It's it, you should watch it if you can cope that is The Windermere Children on BBC Two
0: on a slightly lighter note Sky Comedy's got the final season of Ballers which drops on Tuesday at 9.40pm I've never seen a single episode of Ballers starring The Rock but
2: I hear, I hear it's good have you seen it? It's, no it's okay it's fine if you like it's kind of it's very much it's set in the world of American sports yeah which is why I've never yeah, seen it yeah and mm. if you're not if you kind of know interest in that, if, you know, some people say, oh, well, you don't need to know, be interested, but I you kind of do need to be a bit aware of that world mm. to enjoy it, I think. The other big release this week which drops on Netflix on Thursday is
0: Harlan Coben's The Stranger. Yes. Now, we had wanted to review that this week had we? and had we been able to, <laughs> we wouldn't have had to watch Did fucking we? Miracle Workers. <laughs> However, there is an irritating embargo that does not elapse yeah. until later this week so we were unable to. Which is
2: weird because they've got a, a quote from me on the poster saying how much I liked it as if, you <laughs> know, I've so I've kind of reviewed it. Yeah, it, it makes very way.
0: little sense, but
2: but we if, may be able to get into this a little bit next week, we'll see. I mean, I'm saying if you're a fan, I'm, I they won't care. I'm <laughs> If you're a fan of fucking Harlan Coburn and what he does. Then you're. This like is it. Boyd goes rogue. Oh, yeah, go on, I Boyd, mean... break the embargo. Do it. Do it. it, like... it do it. <laughs> they only care about broken embargoes if people slug stuff off. That's,
0: <laughs> and you like to. And I look, really liked it. And obviously, after you having gone rogue on Miracle Workers, we cannot now
2: take that as a. What no, does that exactly. mean? Gen- that... And Jennifer Saunders in a genuinely her very first properly entirely dramatic role. Mm. 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 Oh,
1: now I'm interested. Mm. There
2: you go. I mean, I'm definitely going to watch this. I'm definitely going to watch
0: it. And so let's let's chat about it briefly next week. And the last thing is on Friday, also on Netflix, is I believe the latest season of BoJack. Horseman. Oh. So, Yes. So, <laughs> I don't care. Neither of you care. But a segment of our listeners, yes. given yes. that it's a very popular show, will almost certainly care. So, if you like The BoJack, then uh, by all means, watch that when it drops on Friday. Now, for the second week running, I'm saying pick of the week is undoubtedly Picard. Boyd, you will almost certainly try and put Curb in there, but I'm having none of it. It's got to be
2: joined. they're both great. I love them both.
1: Yeah, yeah there's a fag paper between them yeah. for me.
2: All right. Star Trek Picard it is now <laughs> before we
0: go shall we do a quick banshee where yeah. we bring out an old show for our listeners enjoyment and recommend it oh hang on there's something going on here Boyd's no. grinning and nodding at his Only one because- and Terry just gave him a tip of that this is like the Senate impeachment trial in a nutshell isn't it Like it's a foregone conclusion Terry's already
2: let you off on this
1: I just raised one eyebrow yeah. in interest of oh, what I can see. I can read spoken.
2: between the so lines. This is me. a fix. Yeah, something struck me that I don't think many people would know that Patrick Stewart did two seasons of an American comedy series called Blunt Talk, in which he played a British newsreader who's joining a CLN type channel and goes completely crazy. I do know this. Oh yeah, but a lot of people don't. Do they? Well, go for it, boy. Tell, tell more I didn't about know. it. Oh, yeah, Blunt Talk. This is kind of what Patrick Stewart did mm. a couple of years ago for about two or three years. Um, but I don't think anyone, hardly anyone saw. I don't think any, ch- no channel showed it in this country. As far as I'm aware. Um, I tried to check and I couldn't. I tried to check on my Amazon Prime thing and it wouldn't work because I've forgotten my password. Um, but you can get <laughs> it on an import DVD at least if you want for twelve pounds eighty eight, which I think is a bargain. And I remember watching the first few episodes. I think I must have been in America at the time. And it's you, it's pretty outrageous what they subject Patrick Stewart to um, in the first episode alone. Like there's kind of running around with with getting drunk and he's kind of like a complete kind of pleasure seeker. And um, it's very funny and entertaining. I thought it was. I mean, I think it ran out of steam generally. The feel. I've only watched like a few episodes of it, so I'll be interested to see. But I think the general feeling was it kind of conked out halfway through. Um, but I think it was it's a really interesting show. Yeah, Blunt Talk with Patrick Stewart as Walter Blunt. Oh, Did you ever watch
0: Eleventh uh, Hour? No. So, 11th Hour, this was, oh God, but this was, ooh, 2006. And this was Patrick Stewart. And it was where he was part of this um, Home Office department who investigated stuff like cloning and viruses, like fringe. It was a bit like fringy, so it was oh, fringe science yeah, stuff. I remember, I remember, stuff. It, I remember it as such. I don't and they it. remade it in the US about, I think it was about two years later with Rufus Sewell in the main oh, role. That was oh, 11th oh, Hour. But oh, okay. the UK one with Patrick Stewart is really good. Oh, the Rufus right. Sewell one, and I love Rufus Sewell, Not so much. Is okay. this your
1: actual Banshee? No, no, I, this, no, this is a <laughs> Banshee off banjo 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 the banjo 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 back banjo of Boyd's
0: Banshee. I just thought I'd mention it that Patrick Stewart's done Banshee stuff that Patrick Stewart's done that is in there no I wanted to do one which I've been meaning to do for a while but I was asked to do on Twitter so I was like hell let's just do it which is Space Above and Beyond yeah so this uh, Terry's already like you've lost fine whatever Uh, this ran for a single season Uh, it was 95 to 96 and it was a militaristic sci-fi show, and it's about a war between humanity and this in, in in this invading race. So humanity's out colonizing the stars, sort of the early stages of that, and they run into a hostile alien race, which today call the Chigs, because they look a bit like fleas. Anyway. Um it's very. It feels very heavily influenced by Starship Troopers, although it actually predates that film by a couple of years. But I think Robert Heinlein's novel is an influence on this, as is. I don't know if you've ever read uh, Joe Haldeman's *The Forever War*. Terry's actively <laughs> <laughs> yawning. Are you actually actively, seriously asking Terry? Actively, 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 actively <laughs> yawning. She's read this science fiction novel. <laughs> she's very well read. You never know. Fine, whatever. So also <laughs> change personality. In some ways, It also shares DNA with uh, with Ron Moore's *Battlestar Galactica*, because it's heavily militaristic and also dark, very dark in tone. And for that era, that was that was quite unusual because that kind of set it aside from much of the sci-fi of, of that sort of period. Because this was all about war is hell, like that was the that was the theme of this, rather than the promise of exploration, which so many of those other shows kind of concerned themselves with. So the main characters in this were a group of untested pilots. They were the United States Marine Corps Space Aviator Cavalry, the 58th Squadron, aka the Wildcards. You're actually yawning again. <laughs>
1: We've been sat in one place for a long time.
0: Uh, And it follows them from rookie pilots to kind of battle hardened veterans. It's co created by Glenn Morgan and James Wong, who both worked on the X Files. And it's got that hyper saturated look, uh, hyper unsaturated look that uh, X Files had as well. I I really loved this, really loved it at the time. And I remember finding the tone really surprising. It's really dark, Terry. So you might actually not hate it. it's also relevant because this universe also had an underclass of androids. They called them silicates, and there'd been an uprising, so not dissimilar to, to Picard. But they also had another underclass, big on underclasses, and I know you love you love an underclass <laughs> drama uh, uh, of in vitro humans, and they called them tanks because they were bred in tanks. They were bred as a labour force, and they were born when they're about 18. And they had like when they were in their tanks, they had these sort of umbilical cords in the back of their necks, and they called them nipple necks, which is biologically inaccurate, but sure. Anyway, James Morrison's in this. You 24th Bill Buchanan, mm-hmm. he was in it. Uh, um, and it was really good. You can get it on DVD from C- Computer Exchange, but it's weirdly expensive. It's £18 from Computer Exchange. So do not get it there under any circumstances. I'm sure you can get it somewhere else, probably new, cheaper than that. There's only one season, but it's good. It's good where well, we're seeing space above and beyond. There's a colon in there somewhere. Ah... <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I mean, the, the darkness and the war appealed to me. The rest of it, I have no underclasses, idea. Underclasses, Terry.
0: Underclasses. Uh, There's I'd no know. fucking underclasses in Blunt Talk.
1: I had no idea what you were saying. Blunt Talk also sounds a bit shit. So,
2: <laughs> so we joint lose, yeah. is what you're saying. <laughs> Great. So, so, so Maybe we rest this feature. So
1: this week, I declare no winner. Oh
2: my God. What a damning indictment. <laughs> wow. Okay. And that is
0: it. For another episode of the Pilot TV podcast, if you are still listening, that means you didn't immediately switch off and go and watch Picard, which is unforgivable. But since you're still here, why not beam five of your best stars into a review of this podcast and maybe leave a few kind words? Much like English Mark, who said, and I quote, "'What's happened? Empire and Pilot podcasts have now deteriorated into smug, self-satisfied, foul-mouthed bores, swearing and forcing their egos on the listener.'" Sorry, Mark, but in our defence, I'm pretty certain that's where we started, so you can't really call it a descent. I'm saying. But you can find our foul-mouthed egos on Twitter and Instagram at James C. Dyer, at Terry underscore White, and at Boyd Hilton. And we will be back next week when I will start on the long excitement build-up for Picard Season 2. <laughs> Pilot out.